Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Now, from the Signature Bank Studios... This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So what did you think of Mr. 10%'s speech last night, speech to the nation in prime time, making the case for aid to both Israel and Ukraine, and particularly that aspect of it, the connection between aid to Ukraine and aid to Israel, and about equal time spent discussing the two countries. Here's what uh, the big guy had to say by way of explanation as to the need for the U.S. to be there for both the Ukrainians and the Israelis. I know these conflicts can seem far away, and it's natural to ask, why does this matter to America? So let me share with you why making sure Israel and Ukraine succeed is vital for America's national security. You know, history has taught us that when terrorists don't pay a price for their terror, when dictators don't pay a price for their aggression, they cause more chaos and death and more destruction. They keep going. And the cost and the threats to America and the world keep rising. So if we don't stop Putin's appetite for power and control in Ukraine, he won't limit himself just to Ukraine. He's, Putin's already threatened to remind, quote, remind Poland that their Western land was a gift from Russia. One of his top advisors, a former president of Russia, has called Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania Russia's Baltic provinces. These are all NATO allies. For 75 years, NATO has kept peace in Europe and has been the cornerstone of American security. And if Putin attacks a NATO ally, we will defend every inch of NATO which the treaty requires and calls for. We'll have something that we do not seek. Make it clear, we do not seek. We do not seek to have American troops fighting in Russia or fighting against Russia. Uh, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. An argument you've heard before, particularly as it relates to support for Ukraine, if you concede Ukraine and Russians gain command control of Ukraine, the revanchist tendencies of Putin being what they are, he won't stop there, next comes Poland, next comes the Baltic states, then NATO is triggered, then American boys are on the ground in Eastern Europe. If you don't want that, then we have to support aid to Ukraine to prevent that. And at least, I guess, the position is now, though I don't think it would be articulated this way, at least continue to underwrite a stalemate, if nothing else, so that Kiev doesn't fall. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey depro answer line six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. I thought he was rushing the speech while I was watching it. And then he jumped from Israel to to Ukraine, back to Israel. I mean, I just thought maybe he mixed up his pages or the teleprompter might have been messed up. I, I just, that was so strange to me that he brought in 
I mean, I knew everybody knew he was going to brag about that. You know, he's the only he's the first president to visit Israel during war. But I didn't think that he'd be asking for aid for both simultaneously. I mean, from his perspective, from the administration's perspective, some might say, J.D. Vance might say from the war party's perspective, it uh, is the smart political play to fold Ukraine into Israel because there's not going to be much opposition to Israel, funding for Israel, support aid for Israel, particularly when the Israelis are doing all of the heavy lifting. There's not the prospect of some sort of NATO invocation that would ultimately two steps down the road, put U.S. troops on the ground in the Middle East, although, of course, we have footprints everywhere. Um, but, you know, the, the the levels that we're talking about beyond uh, tactical teams uh, and special forces. So it's smart for him to do that. Now, again, Ukrainians uh, are obviously shouldering the overwhelming majority of the burden, too, in trying to repel the Russians. But it just doesn't sort of it has the geo implications are different. Regardless, sure, it makes sense because he knows there's some opposition or certainly some skepticism to the blank checks that are being written to Ukraine. And so fold in something where there is little opposition and little skepticism. Also, I mean, it's a much smaller dollar amount. He's reportedly going to ask for 60 billion for Ukraine. It's going to be a much smaller dollar amount for Israel. And, you know, Israel is not in the position of Ukraine, which is trying to stave off an incursion. Israel is now on offense in response to the terrorist attack. So the dynamics are not the same, uh, but the politics of Israel and Ukraine make it makes sense for him to throw it to throw them together because you know sort of one begets the other, and that's what he's attempting. Right, but to I do. just felt like he was preparing us for World War Three. Am I crazy? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, not. I, I just not, felt like he said, "This is happening here. This is happening. Prepare yourselves and God bless our troops." And well, I don't know. Well, well, when he says, "I mean, that this is the sort of saber rattling, if you will, in the direction of the American people." If you don't support uh, the continued uh, aid to Ukraine, then American boys are going to be on the ground in Eastern Europe. That's essentially what he's saying, and that's the way to say, okay, well, we certainly don't want that. We we don't want uh, American troops in harm's way in Eastern Europe. There's overwhelming opposition to that. So, okay, we'll spend another $60 billion because in the grand scheme of things, what's $60 billion to this government? Uh, Marty Naperville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. You know, I know it wasn't the premise of his speech, but again, nothing about the border and our national security. Uh, number two, you want to keep begging for money and Zelensky walking on his hand out of me. Start showing some accountability to where this money is going. So you're right, Dan. $60 billion is a drop in a bucket. But where's it going? Well, we're, giving, we're, we're giving $60 billion of aid to them. And then I hear we're supporting their, their, their economy, their, you know. Their, Small their businesses. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. These blank checks got to end. Start getting some accountability as to where this money's going. And also, how much money is NATO? Are these NATO countries putting into this stuff? All there is NATO, NATO, NATO. Didn't Poland already said they're not they're done with it? And they're they're, they're next to the Ukraine. So it's Thanks. just getting it's just getting ridiculous without any accountability. Thanks for the call, Marty. Oh, yeah. According to that sixty minutes piece, the funding that we've given them so far, we're paying for the first responders and we're paying to help support small businesses. 
Yeah, we've got a we've forward. got a bit of a PPP program going yeah, on we do. in Kiev. Yeah. Uh, Please apply. Uh, but our enemies are watching, and this was the other mm. sort of argument that Biden made that uh, this has national security implications domestically, not just sort of international stability and our general interest in that, but specifically our enemies are watching. If we walk away and let Putin erase Ukraine's independence, would-be aggressors around the world be emboldened to try the same? The risk of conflict and chaos could spread in other parts of the world in the Indo-Pacific, in the Middle East, especially in the Middle East. Iran is, is, is supporting Russia in Ukraine, and it's supporting Hamas and other terrorist groups in the region. And we'll continue to hold them accountable, I might add. Yeah, well, uh, it's interesting that he made that enemies are watching argument because, of course, yeah, they were watching when you withdrew from Afghanistan, too, and how catastrophic that was. That did not inspire a lot of fear of America, did it? Uh, and I'm glad he brought up Iran because uh, they're watching and they're funding Hamas and Hezbollah and we're funding them. And well, specifically you, uh, the Heritage Foundation has put together the numbers on this and uh, they calculate Iran has received about 70 billion dollars more under Biden than it would have under Trump. So. Um, and we can break that down. It's not just the six billion dollars for hostages. It's not just the additional. I think they calculated closer to fifty billion dollars in excess oil revenues because of this administration's uh, energy policy. Uh, there are other uh, streams of revenue flowing to Iran because of Biden policy. So I mean, just think about that. He's calling for sixty billion dollars for Ukraine to repel the Russians and some aid to Israel to support their uh, advance on Hamas while he's actually provided more funding to Iran than he's calling for for Ukraine to repel a expansionist totalitarian despot in Putin while he's underwriting expansionist totalitarian despots in Tehran. And if you can unpack that, then, um, you know, you get an honorary degree from the John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Mobile. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We're talking about uh, 
the speech offered by Mr. 10%, the big guy, President Biden, last night. And uh, the controversial aspect of it was the connection of Israel, aid to Israel to aid to Ukraine, taking the political opportunity of general support from Israel, you know, outside of the Socialist Spice Girls and at least half the Democrat Socialist Caucus. But I digress. Taking that opportunity to link it to Ukraine, which has fallen into less favor uh, in the recent weeks. But uh, something else he made comment on is the cultural response that we've been talking a lot about. What I guess a lot of people were unaware of, not even bubbling below the surface, actually right there on the surface, but uh, we either sort of blithely ignorant or willfully blind or I don't know what, complicit. The cultural response. And this is where he uh, pulled the hate has no home here sign out of the West Lawn and brought it to the Oval Office to wave in front of the American people. Here in America, let us not forget who we are. We reject all forms, all forms of hate, whether against Muslim, Jews, or anyone. That's what great nations do. Oh, what about Mm. forms of hate against conservatives? Hmm. Uh, um, Well, Hmm. uh, he was speaking about anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. Um, He might need to uh, go down to the Capitol and have a conversation with Rashida Tlaib. She doesn't seem on board with the rejecting all forms of hate rap that uh, President Biden is trying to sell. Continue to watch people think it's okay to bomb a hospital where children... You know what's so hard sometimes is watching those videos and and the people telling the kids don't cry and like let them cry and they're shaking and somebody you know this they keep telling them not to cry in Arabic they do they can cry I can cry we all can cry if we're not crying something is wrong and so I'm telling you right now President Biden not all America's with you on this one. And you need to Yeah, uh, President Biden, not all of you America's with you on this uh, one of uh, not uh, giving way to our rage, as he warned the Israel's, Israelis not to do, uh, indulging in hatred, as he warned America not to do. Of course, he has been a cipher, a front man for this uh, illiberal, uh, bigoted, identitarian mob that has taken control of the left in this country, even the otherwise buttoned-down members of the left that have posts that confer them great social status and uh, allow them to enjoy untold riches. At the base of it is Rashida Tlaib. That's the unvarnished version of what that party represents, identitarian politics. And that's where it goes. Thomas Sowell, in that interview... He gave a couple weeks ago with Peter Robinson on the occasion of his latest book, Social Justice Fallacies. He was asked that question. If the social justice warriors in this country, another way to say the left, if they got everything they wanted, what do you think would be going on? And Thomas Sowell's response was, quite simply, we'd be killing each other. And that's exactly right. And if you don't believe that, all you have to do is look at at, at uh, 
institutions or regions where that have been completely given over to identitarian politics and see what's happening or what's on the cusp of happening. And I can think of nothing in no other country than Venezuela. That's why there's some tens of thousands of them coming leaving Venezuela because they have a dictator in charge. And it has ruined their society. Uh, okay. Um, on college campuses, why don't we go there since this is the leading repository of uh, hate and intolerance and ignorance, ironically, in the country. Um, UC Davis. Here we go again. This is uh, the third example we've offered in the last 24 hours. Trans USC Davis assistant professor threatens Jewish journalists and their children. They should fear us. Gemma De Cristo. Uh, don't call me Jeremy. One group of people we have easy access to in the U.S. is all these Zionist journalists who spread propaganda and misinformation. They have houses with addresses, kids in school. They can fear their bosses, but they should fear us more. The post was punctuated with emoji images of a meat cleaver, an axe, and three drops of blood. That's um, what you're getting on college campuses these days. No, it's not the entire professorate. Um, but it is a uh, element of the professorate that is allowed to run wild and say these sorts of things, just like at the School of the Art Institute we talked about yesterday, just as that uh, 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 editor-in-chief of the Law Review at NYU Law. Tra oh, by the way, all three of those, trans, very interesting. Yep. Just re remember the identitarian politics thread that runs through all of this. One Columbia University professor... Um, he's had enough. Uh, take, get a load of what uh, this business school professor at Columbia, Shai Davide, had to say oh, awesome. at this vigil uh, on the campus of Columbia. Um, and here's what he's saying about where colleges are today, what we've seen now exposed what they can and can't do, and what you should or shouldn't do in terms of sending your kids to these places. And he's specifically targeting the elite schools, the Ivy Leagues, the schools, the Stanfords, the Northwesterns. To every parent who sent their kids to Columbia University and trusted their kids and their children's safety with us, I want this message to get to every parent in America, who sends their kids to NYU, to Harvard, to Stanford, to Berkeley. And I want you to know one thing, we cannot protect your child. And I'm not saying this as a professor. I should introduce myself. My name is Shai Davidai. I am a professor at Columbia Business School. I am Israeli. But before all of that, I am a dad. I have two beautiful children. And I'm talking to you. I'm speaking to you as a dad. And I want you to know, we cannot protect your children from pro-terror student organizations because the president of Columbia University will not speak out against pro-terror student organizations. 
because the president of Harvard University, because the president of Stanford, because the president of Berkeley, they will not speak out against pro-terror student organizations. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Do you, um, particularly for parents who have uh, kids in college, do you feel like your kids are unsafe because of the existence of now, if you didn't know, now what you do see, these student organizations that are uh, apologists, if not proponents of terrorist organizations like Hamas? Do you really think that they're unsafe on campus because of this? You you have college. I know. I, I don't. You know. And I've been talking to them. Like, what's your position on this? Where you stand? They like, Mom, we're not getting involved in these pro-Palestinian marches. They don't feel unsafe. But um, but there is pressure, you know, to to join them to go on the marches. But they're not going to do it. But I feel bad. You can feel the pain, and you can hear the pain in his voice of you know how how the hatred has now come to roost. People are now waking up to seeing what college campuses and what some professors are all about. Uh, he went on to recite the sort of obvious arguments against uh, Hamas and the terrorist attacks, the idea that kids are legitimate targets now, and this is something that is being glossed over on college campuses. To the students, to the pro-terror student organizations, at Columbia, my seven-year-old son is a legitimate target of resistance just because he's Israeli. I have a two-year-old daughter, a feisty two-year-old daughter. She has two sons that are her favorite, Baby Shark and Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. And yet, to the pro-terror student organization on campus, here and at Harvard and at NYU and at Stanford and at Berkeley and at Northwestern. My two-year-old daughter is a legitimate target of resistance. That is what they are selling. You are allowed to murder and kidnap my two-year-old daughter in the name of resistance. And none of the presidents of universities all around the country are willing to take a stand. This is what cowards do. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You can also reach us on our text line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. So here's what uh, Professor David I wants you to do. If you're... Um parent of a student at these colleges or colleges that are similarly disposed, or if you're not, but you're a taxpayer who in part funds these colleges at some level. Every concerned mom, every concerned dad in around the United States, and I want you all tomorrow morning to call your kids college, your kids university, and ask them one simple question. Will you protect my child from pro-terror student organizations? And if your kid is not yet in college, but you are a concerned parent or a concerned grandparent, I want you to call your senator, 
your representative in Congress, your governor, your mayor. And I want you to ask them, are the colleges in my city, in my state, who are funded by taxpayers' money, are they harboring pro-terror student organizations? Well, we know uh, St. Xavier College, which is supposedly a Roman Catholic, they are. Um, I can guarantee you Northwestern is. University of Illinois. University of Chicago. Are you going to check on uh, your alma maters or where your kids go to school or the colleges you fund? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 6463-6DA, turnkey.pro text line. I watched... uh, this Columbia professor's uh, rant. And, um, you know, at first I thought, it's a little over the top, this whole, you know, your kids aren't safe. And so, you know, these these uh, bedwetting college students are not that intimidating. And, uh, you know, they're mostly, you know, virtue-signaling p-hat ninnies. Well, it's a cool thing to do now, Dan. To be pro-Palestinian. Yeah, but the question. So the question is: Is is he being over the top about safety on so. campus? Oh, why don't you think so? Well, because they think there's always some crazies out there that are going to target Jewish people, and especially now. I mean, our State Department warning people overseas, and then even Christopher Ray here at home, and the FBI saying, "Be very vigilant in these trying times right now. Be be vigilant." Uh-huh. Yeah, and for a possible terrorist attack. That is me. I mean, I've been walking out to my car. Well. I'm not going to say, but I'm just prepared for something. So you got to protect yourself. Do what you have to do. So we're all waiting for university presidents to issue their condemnations, and then everything will be right with the world. That's the part that I'm a little lost on with respect to the professor. I really don't care what the president at Northwestern or Columbia or Harvard or Berkeley or Stanford has to say. I already know who they are. So if they go through the motions like President Biden is going through the motions, that doesn't impress me, number one. But more importantly, I don't think it accomplishes anything in terms of uh, advancing uh, a more civilized culture in this country or in the West generally. It's not going to make it better. But that's not to say that there might not be something to what the professor is saying. So I thought he was being a little over the top. I definitely don't care about the university president's issuing statements, but he might be on to something. And... I thought more about this after reading a piece by uh, Professor Gary Morrison, who's a Slavic languages pe- pre- pre- professor at Northwestern, which I'll get to in a second. But let's take some calls. Clay in Libertyville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, first and foremost, I finally heard a ad for By the Hand on uh, 560 this morning. If you guys aren't aware what that is, that is the best place you can give your money. Um like 99 cents of every dollar goes actually helping Chicago kids. Uh, I've met the, uh, the starter of that, that group. It is fantastic. She really genuinely cares about the kids. Um, but uh, to continue the conversation, okay. who cares what this guy says? Who cares what this guy says? He's crying. Okay, guess what? It's a college. There's always going to be extreme ideas thrown around every which way. Definitely do not let this guy know that Biden just gave, um, you know, $6 billion to Iran. Definitely do not let this guy know that uh, Biden lifted the restriction on Iran's ability to sell gas and 
created um, like $60 billion worth of revenue. Do not let that guy know that because if this is the way he's reacting to his kids hearing different ideas, that guy's going to crap themselves when he realizes how much money is actually gone to terrorists. All right. Thanks for the call, Clay. Uh, Greg, Jefferson Park. Hey, good morning, guys. You know, this guy, welcome to the United States. You got uh, uh, the overwhelming majority of the Jewish people in this country are progressive leftists, and uh, you reap what you sow. If this guy's serious about fighting the good fight, get on a plane, head back to the homeland, pick up a gun, and go take care of business. Guys, have a good one. Okay, Greg. Mary Kay, Western Springs. Hey, good morning. Um, my daughter spends all of her time, which her job now is um, with the Leadership Institute. She goes to uh-huh. college campuses every day. Yep. And, um, you know, I was more afraid of her getting robbed or jumped in the Chicago parking garage and all the other places that she visits every day. She's, um, she's there to start, you know, political clubs um, uh, with kids and get them involved in politics, conservative politics specifically, um, free speech pro-life groups and now the campuses are just uh, screaming and yelling you have your pro-Palestinian groups just yelling screaming taking over the campuses they can't do their jobs anymore Um, but um, was I afraid I was afraid of her getting um, you know robbed more than I was afraid of her getting um, hurt in a a demonstration Um, but um, was I afraid yes and am I more afraid Yes, now I am. Um, and now if uh, uh, presidents of uh, universities go out and um, and c- condemn the demonstrations of, you know, pro, um, pro con- uh, not communist, what's the word? Hamas. Oh. Uh, yeah, they, um, they go out and demonstrate pro-Hamas. Um, I think presidents should get out, uh, presidents of universities should get out and condemn it. Will it change everything? Probably not, but I think, I think they should stay the position. You know. Thanks for the call, Mary Kay. Appreciate it. We, we, have a, to- we have a whole generation of kids that have become uh, anti-Semites that we need to deprogram at some point in time. Did you see what happened at that San Francisco high school? They all put on these war scarves, <laughs> marched through the hallways. <laughs> and basically that means the elimination and destruction of Israel when they chant that. All right, we'll get to... Um, why this matters on college campuses and K-12 through campuses. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. As well...
top of the morning, Dan and Amy, picking up on our conversation from last hour, talking about what you see on college campuses and the streets of major cities, but particularly college campuses. Why? Why are college campuses important? And that Columbia business professor who took out after the university presidents at at his school, Columbia, as well as the Ivy League and other quote-unquote elite universities around the country, demanding that university presidents issue statements of condemnation, not just uh, over the Hamas terrorist attacks in Gaza, but also over the uh, pro-Hamas student groups on campus, saying and... um, advocating for all kinds of horrific things. Why is that important? It's because it's easy to say, "What? <laughs> these are kids, it's kids' cosplay. You know, these young adults, they're doing what they think they're supposed to do. They see it from the Socialist Spice Girls on TV and in D.C., so they're going to mimic it on college campus because that's where the the, the the center of gravity is, you know, for the leftist cause du jour. So if I have, if you want me to put a pea hat on, I'll put a pea hat on. If you want me to wear a, wave a Palestinian flag, I'll wave a Palestinian flag. And that's the sum total of it. There's no need to worry about safety on campus and so forth, which is what the that Columbia business professor said in urging people to call the colleges where their students go or where they went, or if you're just a average taxpayer, call your politicians and ask them about what we're funding at the state level around the country. Well, so why is this maybe, why is there maybe more there than meets the eye? Well, it's something I think that people have difficulty wrapping their minds around. It's sort of like the intelligence bias. If somebody is perceived to be intelligent, there's no way they could be ghastly which is why anytime you see somebody with a high IQ that turns out to be a mass murderer, people are always shocked. Oh, you're so intelligent. Right, well, intelligence and morality are not synonyms. And so that's the thing. The phrase that I like to use, sentimental barbarians or sophisticated barbarians, if you don't want to get into the tangential discussion of sentimentality, sophisticated barbarians. These are kids at Ivy League schools. The the world is their oyster. They're going to get some... Useless degree from Stanford and then become some useless consultant making 250 grand a year by their fifth year and they'll be a partner at some useless consulting company or useless law firm and, and then they'll get a useless job in the government for some useless uh, political ruling class. And th- that's, that's what makes America America, making sure that these useless people have uh, the benefits conferred to them by the schools they went to and the politics they embrace. And that's all it is. Don't make it more sinister than it is. Well, uh, Gary uh, Morrison, who's professor, as I said, of Slavic languages and literature at Northwestern, uh, reminds us, he, he went to the literature, which is always a good place to go. You know, there were observant people uh, that predated us. I know that uh, your 1619 Project crew wouldn't recognize that, but there were... Uh, He goes to Dostoevsky, does Professor Morrison. He writes, says, I read about Harvard students demonstrating in favor of Hamas and educated people proclaiming that decolonization should be pursued by any means necessary. (laughs) Educated people by any means necessary. Remember that. I thought of Dostoevsky's reaction a century and a half ago to atrocities committed by the Ottomans. 
as they suppressed uprisings among their Slavic subjects. This was the case, apparently unknown to today's decolonizers, what do they know, in which a Muslim empire persecuted colonized Christians. Oh, yeah, that. Whole families wiped out, women raped and tortured, living people humiliated, corpses abused, children slowly murdered before their parents' eyes. And in one case that particularly shocked Dostoevsky, a young child forced to watch her father being flayed alive completely. It see, if it seems that only uncivilized people can be such sadists, Dostoevsky cautions, know that the same thing could happen among civilized Europeans as well. At the time, he wrote, for the moment is still, it is still against the law, but were it to depend on us, perhaps nothing would stop us despite all of our civilization. People are simply intimidated by some sort of habit, but if some progressive expert were to come up with a theory showing that sometimes flaying skins can benefit the right cause because the ends justify the means, and if that expert were to express his view using the appropriate style, believe me, there would be respectable people among us willing to carry out the idea. Despite our sophistication and professions of compassion, Dostoevsky wrote, all that is needed is for some new fad to appear and people would be instantly transformed. Not everyone, of course, but the number of adherents of the new fad would grow while others would be afraid or embarrassed or cling to old ideas. Where would we find ourselves? Among the flayed or among the flayers? Um, we just went, I mean, at a much smaller scale, less lethal scale, in some respects, we went through this with COVID. And how inhumanely people treated other people who disagreed with them. Okay, remember Jimmy Kimmel saying, if you go to the emergency room and you're not vaccinated, don't treat them or they get in the back of the line. Let them die, basically. Yeah, I remember that. Don't ever forget people. A terrorist, including in the Islamic world, often well-off and well-educated. Certainly those um, who took part in 9-11 were many, including bin Laden himself. Cruelty often thrives among the sophisticated. Often thrives among the sophisticated. Dostoevsky recalls the reign of terror during the French Revolution. The um, incidence of the dark side of human nature showing itself, clad in the language of whatever is fashionable, are legion. Which is why when that Columbia professor says, we can't protect your kids on a college campus. It may sound over the top. It did to me initially until I thought about it and until Professor Thorson remind, Morrison reminded me a bit. But yeah, you're, this is on a continuum. And the people that have given in to the faddish language of saying things like gas the Jews or writing what the, that uh, lawyer for the Illinois Comptroller's Office wrote or saying and posting what that quote-unquote professor for the art, uh, the art Institute, the School at the Art Institute said, you think that uh, uh, down the road they'd be willing, unwilling to commit the sadist acts that we've seen committed in Gaza? Well, and real quickly, Dan, I don't know, that trans-climate scientist, teacher at the School of Art Institute who said, you know, called Israelis pig savages and irredeemable excrement. Well, he wrote an apology. He said, yesterday I wrote something on my Instagram that I unequivocally reject and do not stand behind. 
Who what, was what, that you guy? You wrote it. It was yeah, a who, guy. It was a girl. It was a, that was his alter. That was his alter ego. That was the dude. He's the no dude. longer. That's he. The woman he is now would never have written that. Yeah, no, I get it. What I yeah, I get it. I get How it. Do you that, put that, and then you say that that was I rejected. I'm deeply sorry for writing what I wrote and for hurting many people with my words. Um, in the possessed. Sorry, so sad. Too bad. In Dostoevsky's The Possessed, he writes, "Therein lies the real horror." That one can commit the foulest and most villainous act without in the least being a villain. This happens all over the world since time began. The possibility of considering oneself, of sometimes even being, in fact, an honorable person while committing obvious and undeniable villainy. We overlook that possibility at our peril. That's why what's happening on college campuses matter. Because you have to have a little bit of foresight. Antonio in Bolingbrook. Good morning, Dan, Amy. I'm Antonio. I'm also the chairman for a DuPage Township Republican organization. Um, I had to go to our township meeting and demand the board, demand Green Townsend, our township trustees, resignation. Reason why is because the previous Sunday, while this massacre was going on, she decided to post on our Facebook page, Word for word, Hamas's press release of Israel's a terrorist country, any act against them is an act of, you know, liberation and uh, it's justified. Um, it's sad. I mean, if you, if you saw the board's response and so far they've done it, nothing, and I'm not stopping, and I've reached out to the ADL and everybody, but it, it's just, it's, just it, it's how numb people are, how hypo, hypocritical, especially these people that claim they're anti racism and they're anti-hate, and the whole world is that, and the first chance they get, like what you just spoke, the next fad, they're on it. Thanks for the call, Antonio. Good luck out there. Um, skip the ADL and go right to the neighborhoods. Do you know who's representing you? Do you want me to show you who you voted for? There's a lot of, there's a, that would be a great campaign for the Republican Party. I know at the state level it doesn't exist, but maybe at the granular level in places like Bolingbrook with Antonio, they could. Just, do you want me to show you who you voted for? Here's the, per, here's the person you voted for. Here's, here's who they are. You had no idea, probably. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you don't deserve it, but I will anyway. Here's who you voted for. You going to stick with that? Kelly in Lamont, you're in Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi, I just wanted to contribute by saying that I've heard people in the past say that the importance of capturing the universities and the other forms of higher education is because these are the people that exactly are going to be going in and eventually working in the additional branches of government. We've all heard of the fourth additional branch of government, which is the administrative state. But I heard recently someone say that there are additional branches, and one that was named was the fifth branch, which is the unlawful merger of big tech with federal intelligence and federal law enforcement, and a sixth branch, which is the out-of-control and unlawful acts of nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And these are exactly the people at the universities um, that are going to be going in, working in those areas and once they're in the institution they're they're there thank thanks you for the, thanks for the call Kelly. no it's a great point i mean this is the lawyer at the comptroller's office the city bank banker who uh 
who posted, uh, now I understand why Hitler wanted to get rid of these people and was fired. But how did she get in there in the first place? I mean, this is the point that, even though they're late to the dance, it is a salient point that some of these uh, uh, wealthy uh, Ivy League grads like Bill Ackman are making when they say, you know, do you know who you're hiring at these big firms and these big banks and big government, big media? In some cases they do. That's the even scarier thought. In other cases they don't, or they're afraid to vet them. They shouldn't be. Uh, Jeff Wheaton. Hey, Dan and Amy. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Dan, I kind of feel like you're practicing apologetics a little bit here, or perhaps you're uh, making the independents uh, do a little thought process about uh, as if you and I know <laughs> that the, the liberals on the left here that are running these schools care or even if they did come out and say anything, if it would matter, because mm-hmm. we all know it's not going to make a hill of beans difference to the, the, the kids and the students out there. I mean, it's really a top-down problem. I mean, just take uh, Biden's pretend speech about uh, pantomiming caring about these people. Let's write him a check for $100 million. However, we don't have the money, but most of that money is going to go to Ukraine. So we're going to hold hostage our ally to make sure that we continue to give money to Ukraine. Or let's complain about the debt and then tell everyone that it's a concern, but we just passed a trillion dollars in terms of the uh, credit card debt. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And I think what it comes down to is um, American people need to understand that we're really divided right now, and you're bringing up an excellent point about how you can't have people on campuses chanting death to America and death to Israel if we're truly not only Americans, but their allies. Thank you for taking my call. Well, Thanks for the call, Jeff. Where were the stories of the 29 Americans killed on October 7th? And where is the urgency to get the hostages back? I just feel like that is lost in this conversation. And it was lost yesterday when President Biden addressed the nation. I don't know. Uh, he mentioned it, and but it was the same it generic, like, we're going to do whatever we yeah, can kind of thing. Exactly. There was mm-hmm. no heart or urgency. or He's just reading a frickin' script. You know what I mean? Ugh. Joe, Arlington Heights. Good morning. You know, I, I think we're seeing the fruits on college campuses of moral relativism. And uh, we were warned about that decades ago. You know, ch- children are going to school, and they are collecting information, not learning how to use it. You know, they, they, the, the, the soul and the spiritual portion of knowing how to make choices is not being taught when you're in a morally relativistic environment. So it's a, it's a cultural rot, and, this, and the colleges, I think, have led the way. I'm curious if, if you see it the same way. I do see it the same way. Thanks for the call, Joe. I mean, this was the statement that um, um, Andrew Sullivan made. Um, this is a few years old now. I mean, his his piece that went viral and sort of became a catchphrase to all of this cultural rot that you, Joe was just describing. We're all on a college campus now. Yeah. Emanating from those influential cultural and civic institutions to infect the body politic. That's what's happened. And to the point that Jeff made, this is a top-down problem, right? But it it's a bottom-up solution, which is why actually that Columbia professor's call on Everybody, parents of kids at these schools, uh, alumni of these schools, taxpayers. So that would get that gets pretty much everybody. Taxpayers who fund these schools. Uh, time for you to be heard. 
I mean, this is sort of a win the crowd and win your freedom uh, moment in the arena. Frank, uh, Board of Trade. Yeah, what you're saying is the Italianic impulse. You either have control over it or you don't. Okay. That, nice summary. Thanks, Frank. Uh, Eduardo, Tampa Bay. Yeah, good morning. Uh, I did the work study in uh, high school and college, so I'm glad to see some companies are going to be knocking that college requirement on their uh, prerequisite. Thanks for the call, Eduardo. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Listen. The more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Day when uh, the House attempts to install a speaker one more time. The uh, effort to put in uh, Patrick, give me McLiberty or give me McDeath. McHenry failed as well. So we'll give Jim Jordan another try. Uh, Matt Gates had uh, this to say about the effort to creatively leave the speakership to an uh, uh, interim figure like McHenry uh, for a time before figuring out who actually is going to lead the, the House and the Republican caucus by extension. I think that I'm against Speaker Light. I'm against Bud Light. I believe it is a constitutional desecration to not elect a Speaker of the House. We need to stay here until we elect a Speaker. And if someone can't get the votes, we need to go on to the next person. But but twisting and torturing the Constitution to empower a temporary speaker is having a speaker light that is not constitutionally contemplated is deeply infirm, and I will do everything possible to stop it. Mm, yeah. um, Gates should take a page out of the Framers' book and actually have a plan right. when he thinks about uh, trying to accomplish something. There was uh, one congressman in Florida who said, you know, I, I'm a veteran if you blow up a bridge. You better have another bridge that you need to cross ready to go. So another way to get across. Right. Yeah, another, right. yeah come on. Uh, so McCarthy was uh, asked about apparently some chippiness between him and Gates in caucus as the discussion of what to do about the vacancy proceeded. Listen to McCarthy's characterization of what happened and where the caucus is vis-a-vis Gates and the uh, hateful eight. Specifically what happened with Matt Gates. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, I was at the mic. I was speaking, and Matt Gates tried to interrupt and say, so I told him to sit down, and we sat down. I think it, No, I told him to sit down. I, th- I think the entire conference screamed at me. People are, listen, we, the whole country, I think, would scream at Matt Gates right now. Remember, it was a crazy eights led by Matt Gates and every single Democrat that put us into this situation. Uh, we've never been in this situation before, but how do you have 4% of your conference remove a speaker when 96% are there. This is why we're here. He had no plan afterwards. Now we have Israel at a war, questions whether Congress can act, uh, questions where we'd be able to go to select a new speaker. I mean, it's a difficult situation driven by one person for his own personal beliefs, his own animosity towards me, and his concern about what's inside an ethics complaint that was filed before I was even speaker. And that has given way to splintering in all sorts of different directions, including by moderates and 
Biden in districts Biden won, who are afraid that Jim Jordan is too much of an iconoclast and that'll somehow redound to their political detriment if they support Jim Jordan for speaker. I think that's a stretch. That sounds very insular and parochial and not per very persuasive, even electorally, even the electoral argument. You have people that are just upset that McCarthy was deposed and they don't want to essentially rectify the situation with a Scalise or with a Jim Jordan or with somebody else and allow Gates and company off the hook. Um, so some adult-like behavior is going to have to give way at some point, one thinks, but one could be wrong. For more on this and other topics, Brett Baer, host of Fox News Special Report, weekdays, 5 p.m. Chicago time. He's also the best-selling author of The Just Released to Rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment. We could use a man like George Washington today. Brett Baer, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning. Uh, so where do you have the uh, this uh, situation in the House, the prospect that Jim Jordan can... Uh, put together the necessary votes, or if he can't, what happens from here? It's uh, up in the air. It really is. I hate to have no answer, but I have no answer. I yeah. last time I uh, we counted, he is well short. Not just around the corner short. He is well short, and um, so he says he's going to continue to go. Uh, that there's not another you know candidate that can get as many votes as he has. Uh, but Democrats are not breaking away to help him or the Republicans unless there's some kind of empower McHenry deal that Democrats could see as possibly moving bipartisan legislation forward. And the caucus, the Republican caucus, said um, no yesterday. So we are where we are. And I think that you're going to have multiple votes. Remember, it took 15 for McCarthy. I could see you know, in the high teens here. Well, do you know is, what do you do you know what the concessions are that are being uh, demanded in order, you know, among the dozen and a half to two dozen members? Like, are they is there does it does it does does it essentially circle around one or two big things or is it just everybody's got their own bill of particulars? It's more of the potpourri of uh, being upset whether it is Jim Jordan and the tactics that were used at the beginning, you know, calling up or texting the wife of Congressman Don Bacon, or uh, then there's other people who think he's too caustic, and then there's other people who say there are other folks who should lead the the caucus and be speaker. Um, I, the bottom line is that they they can't circle the wagons, and they're just not are not enough. Um, leaders in this in this caucus to do it. And because they have this motion to vacate with the one person, which is how it all happened with Matt Gates and then eight, uh, seven others, um, it, it is untenable. And right now we don't see an end to it. Well, what about Patrick McHenry's? I mean, will he be elevated to temporary speaker while they try and figure this out? Well, he is temporary speaker currently. Uh, the question is, what kind of power does he have? He doubts he has power um, to to bring forward legislation. The legal question is, we've never been here before. So if he registered any bill as Speaker of the House, would that bill therefore be challenged or challengeable in court on every front? 
and uh, the people who are against this say it would constitutionally. Uh, meanwhile, uh, back at the ranch with all of the uh, Trump trials uh, in uh, procession, we have uh, news yesterday out of Fulton County, Georgia, that um, the Kraken has uh, entered into a plea agreement with prosecutors. Sidney Powell is going to plead out to six misdemeanors and pay some fines and say she's sorry and uh, agree to testify truthfully against her co-defendants in exchange for not going to prison. How uh, big a deal is her plea agreement? I think it's a, a, a decent size, big deal. Uh, I think that in all of these cases, the, the threat to the former president that everybody else, you know, wakes up and says, I'm, I'm not doing this and decides that they're going to testify against him, uh, despite the fact that they had a big role in advising him or moving forward. Um, and, you know, all of these prosecutors want to put him in the target. I, I think that, you know, for Georgia, this is uh, moves the case forward. But remember, there's uh, 17 other, right. 18 other um, defendants. But she has to write this goofy apology letter to the people of Georgia, which is strange. But do you think she's going to at some point in time testify against President Trump? I think they would not have given her the deal unless she agreed. Yeah, of course. Of course, and but but well, she didn't but, plead guilty to racketeering conspiracy. So she pled out. The whole point is she pled out so that they could flip her for these. But the, the but the but the, the 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 thing here is what you were getting at, Brett. Is I mean, if I'm Trump, I, you know, I, we have no idea what their conversations were. I have no idea. But um, she's the lawyer. She's the one at press conferences with Giuliani and Meadows, particularly Giuliani, released the Kraken and all all of the histrionics and so on and so forth. So if I'm Trump, she's my lawyer she's supposed to be the election law expert she's the one that was devising the strategy and to the extent i went along with it is because i thought she was knowledgeable about the law and saw a legal strategy that was legitimate for us to pursue yeah and that's the advice of the lawyers and um so i think that that's you know the case that they're going to make i just think that um you know it's all going to add up and string this out uh, for some of these defendants to, to testify against him. Um, on the other side of the House, of course, this is not talked about or covered by just about anybody except for perhaps you. Um, we found out that the White House, uh, 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 that, that Joe Biden, I should say, was interviewed by two days by the special counsel investigating Biden's alleged mishandling of classified information. This happened earlier this month. And we also have Jim Comer, the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, putting together a new timeline on the classified documents in the possession of the current president that does not comport with the timeline that was offered up by his attorneys. Uh, in fact, the timeline of concern about classified documents in the possession of the former pres- of the current president, I, I should say, starts a year and a half before the timeline that was offered up by his attorneys. Now, we, we know the DOJ posture is that uh, we're not going to indict an incumbent president um, that we wouldn't have done with Trump. We're not going to do it with Biden. But the timeline and the, in, the, the, the veracity of Biden and his lawyers is certainly relevant so people know exactly what happened with his handling of the classified documents since we have a Trump trial forthcoming on the same topic. Yeah, and listen, there's some kind of big development. We just don't know what exactly that is yet, as Comer, you know, puts together his investigation. But remember that this, these documents are taken 
from the skiff in the U.S. Senate as he's Senate um, Senator Joe Biden, which has never happened. And any of his colleagues, even Democratic colleagues, will say that's really bizarre. Uh, and, you know, as vice president, where he never had any capability to declassify anything. So it's a different, you know, it's not animal, you know, one-on-one um, to the Trump situation. So it is um, something that, you know, is getting overlooked, but this potentially is a problem too. Uh, yesterday's uh, speech from uh, President Biden on Israel and Ukraine, nicely tying together the two countries for uh, in terms of uh, advancing the case for supporting both. I mean, do you see, I mean, J.D. Vance and a couple of others notwithstanding, do you see any real resistance coming from Congress to move along aid to both Israel and Ukraine relatively quickly? Other than not having a Speaker of the House? <laughs> other than, other than uh, that, <laughs> since yeah. I can't even, can't even pass a resolution in the House supporting Israel. Yeah, other than that. They can't really do anything. So, uh, I, no, I think eventually they'll fall in line. I do think that there's some pushback that the president could have delivered this speech any day in the 600 days of the Ukraine uh, war, uh, and he didn't. He chose this moment uh, to piggyback on what's happening in Israel, and I think that that hit some people the wrong way. Um, other people you know, said that this is a moment to instruct the American people where their attention is, is at terrorism and that's why he's intertwining Hamas and, and Putin. Um, there was a lot of Ukraine in that speech, though. A lot. I sure was. And Britt Hume raved about it. He thought it was one of his finest moments. And I thought he sounded very weak and that the teleprompter was mixed up because he kept going from Israel to Ukraine back to Israel. And it was hard to follow. Well, Dana Perino is yeah. going to hold his hand and they're going to watch it together. Oh, again. She's gonna hold, that's right. <laughs> it was really good. I, I was surprised at Britt's uh, reaction. However, he did say it was Joe Biden's best speech. Um, he hasn't had too many big yeah. speeches. Uh, it's so. one of those, yeah, one of those tallest skyscraper in Wichita kind of compliments. Um, Brett Baer is the host of Fox News Special Report, 5 p.m. weekday, Chicago time. Best-selling author of the just-released "To Rescue the Constitution," George Washington and the Fragile Experiment. Pick that up as well, jo- uh, Brett. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, Brett. Real quick, how was your event at Northwestern? Oh, it was good. It was good. A nice little turnout. Uh, my brother-in-law came and. Uh, it was good. We started the week, um, you know, obviously it's tough to have a book launch during this uh, world news, uh, but we started at number four in the New York Times bestseller list. And um, I'm in Dallas currently getting ready for a number of events here today. Good for All you. Right, chop, chop. We'll look for you at the top of the charts. <laughs> you got it. We'll see you. We predicted it here. Uh, and Brett Baer joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Maybe the way to distinguish the morality of the two sides in Gaza, talking about the Israelis and Hamas, Hezbollah, is to do some thought experiments. Since it's so difficult for so many kids on college campus, so many leftist politicians in public office, so many of the professorate and university president uh, cohort, 
so difficult for them to distinguish the two sides. The moral equivalences of uh, I'm against killing both sides. Um, think about it this way. If Hamas had the power and capacity to eradicate all Jews, would they do it? Uh, I believe so, yes. And if Israel had the power and capacity, and technically did they do, uh, to eradicate all Palestinians without uh, any, let's say, just to layer it on, without any you know, sanction from the UN or governing bodies or uh, you know, other, anything other than some nasty op-eds in the West, would they do it? Uh, Sam Harris, uh, who is, uh, you know, one of the the new atheists, along with people like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and so forth. Um, he's a philosopher, neuroscientist. He uh, does this as well. He asks, take a moment to actually do the cognitive work. Imagine the Jews of Israel using their own women and children as human shields. And then imagine how Hamas or Hezbollah or Al-Qaeda or ISIS or any other jihadist group would respond. The image you should have in your mind is a masterpiece of moral surrealism. It's preposterous. It's a Monty Python sketch where all the Jews die. Do you see what this asymmetry means? Can you see how deep it runs? There are not many bright lines that divide good and evil in our world, but this is one of them, by the way, as a quick aside. Having a conversation with Sam Harris, the atheist, about good and evil and uh, the basis of where where, where his uh, moral... Uh, in vain on this topic comes would be really interesting. Do you just think about that, Sam? Where does that come from? Anyway, I digress. Back to Sam Harris. Um, uh, he goes on to say, um, there's much more to be confused about. As this war proceeds, many people consider the deaths of non-combatants on the Palestinian side to be morally equivalent to the kids who were tortured and murdered at the peace concert by Hamas, or to the hostages who may yet be murdered and their murders broadcast on social media. But they're not, there's not. They're not. They're not the same. There's a difference between collateral damage, a euphemism for innocent people killed during war, and the intentional massacre of civilians for the purpose of maximizing horror. Simply counting the number of dead bodies is not a way of judging the moral balance here. Intentions matter, and that's what you see a lot of going on, too, is how many people were killed on this side versus how many people were killed on that side. Well, the context matters. The truth is that the Jews of Israel would live in peace with their neighbors if their neighbors weren't enthralled to genocidal fanatics. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Brendan O'Neill, who's the editor-in-chief of, uh, chief political reporter, I should say, at Spiked Online. He's also the author of the recently released a Heretics Manifesto, Essays on the Unsayable. Brendan O'Neill, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Hi, how's it going? Good. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, is, is, is the, those sorts of thoughts experiments like uh, Sam Harris uh, offered, like I offered, is that is that the way to go? Is that maybe something that gets to the heart of the matter? Um challenges people who are just reciting phrases, uh, many people not knowing what they actually implicate? I think so, yes. I think Sam Harris is right, that there is, even though we regret the loss of every civilian life, of course, everyone does, most people do, I should say, um, 
There is a difference, however, between so-called collateral damage, which is not a very nice phrase, but people who die as a consequence of conflict and people who are killed because of their race, people who are purposefully targeted because they are Jewish, they're burnt alive in their homes, they had their throats slit, they were shot in the street, they were kidnapped, they were brutalized, they were driven through the streets where they were desecrated and spat on. There's a difference between those two things. The former happens in every war in history. It happens in wars all around the world, uh, collateral damage, as they call it. But targeting a group of people on the basis of their ethnic heritage, on the basis of the fact that they come from a particular racial group, in quote marks, and killing them on that basis, which is what Hamas did in southern Israel on Saturday, the 7th of October, that is of a different order entirely. And that is why I think it is absolutely right to refer to what Hamas did as the one of the wickedest racial crimes since the Holocaust, and certainly the worst attack on Jews since the Holocaust. And so many in the West cannot grapple with the seriousness of that event. And in some cases, they've even celebrated it. And certainly they are now forgetting about it and moving on to, you know, waving the Palestinian flag and forgetting about what happened on the 7th of October. It is not a morally serious society that forgets so quickly about an event like that. And the other thing that uh, you hear coming from that same crowd you're describing, calls for ceasefire. They move away from the actual events of October 7th to talk about, uh, you know, the 75-year history of ethnic cleansing or genocide, these terms that they throw around. I mean, there's there's never any, first of all, there's, there's no defense for Israel doing anything. Israel's not allowed to do anything in their minds. And secondly, um, whatever is done against Israel, there's just this sort of uh, moral plea that Israel is an apartheid state that has been killing Palestinians and otherwise engaged in barbaric acts for 75 years, so anything is justified. That's right. They have dehumanized Israelis. They now talk about Israelis who are Israeli Jews in particular, let's be honest. They talk about them just as colonialists and settlers. They dehumanize them in that way. And, that you know, there was one uh, woke academic who said that settlers are not civilians and therefore who cares if they die? Who cares if they're burnt alive? Who cares if grandmothers are kidnapped and children are murdered? You know, they're just settlers. They're evil people. So there's been this ironically neo-colonial dehumanization of Israeli Jews by supposed anti-colonialists here in the West. It's, it's grimly fascinating and, and absolutely horrific. Yeah. I think what what this conflict has exposed, I think, over the past 10 days is the hypocrisy and the cruelty of the woke elites in the West. We've seen student activists tearing down posters with the faces of the kidnapped Israeli children. We've seen that professor saying that he found the attack on southern Israel exhilarating. Uh, here in the UK, we've had some left-wing commentators refer to that attack as a day of celebration, something we should rejoice. And, uh, you know, it's, it, this is the kind, these are the kind of people who rallied behind the Me Too banner. But now that young Jewish women are being kidnapped and brutalized, they haven't got a word to say about it. These are people who pose as anti-racist. And yet in the face of one of the worst acts of racist terrorism of modern times, they danced in the streets and they said, let's rejoice. The, you- the hypocrisy and the cruelty is, is staggering. And it, I, I think it's very hard for that section of the left to come back from this. Do you think that this is going to end up being World War III? I mean, you have Hezbollah attacking on Israel from Lebanon, Syria militias targeting American troops in Iran and Syria. 
we had that USA Carney shot down three missiles from the Houthi rebels in Yemen. I mean, and they all have one thing in common. They're backed by Iran. I think there is definitely this, the potential for this to spin out of control, certainly regionally. Whether it becomes a, a world event is not quite clear, but I think regionally the tensions are rising and, it, and, it, and I think it could very well spin out of control. I think one thing that worries me is that I think the Western response to this conflict is going to exacerbate those tensions. I mean, just one example, if you look at the bombing of the hospital in Gaza and the Western media very swiftly laid the blame for that on Israel. They said 500, maybe even 1,000 people had been killed. Um, there were, in response to that, there were huge and uh, really rowdy protests in Turkey, Iran, all of them calling on their government to, to sort out Israel. We now know that the story is far more complicated than that. It does look like it, it wasn't Israel. It looks like it was a misfired missile from Islamic Jihad inside Gaza. The death toll seems to be smaller than we initially thought. The hospital is still intact. It seems to have been largely a fire in a car park. So when the BBC, which is respected around the world, runs instantaneously with the idea that Israel is to blame, when it takes at face value the claims of a virulently anti-Semitic terrorist group like Hamas, that risks inflaming the tensions in the region itself and the tensions around the world. And it's not surprising the day after that hospital attack, a synagogue in Berlin was firebombed. And when Jewish institutions have been firebombed in Germany, we should all be incredibly worried. And that was done directly in response to the idea that Israel had just murdered children in a hospital. So the Israel haters in the West are playing with fire. I don't think they realize it. Uh, what, what is the situation on the ground in the UK? I I think I saw your PM, Rishi Sunak, make a statement of condemnation, and I wonder if it essentially mirrors uh, the U.S., where you have uh, academics and students on college campuses, particularly the elite college campuses, that um, have been, you know, essentially uh, brainwashed to support totalitarianism in all its forms, and, uh, and the press corps, of course, and then you have the great mass of people, a majority of whom can apply some common sense and make the right determination about what's happening here. Is that the dynamic there, like it is here? Yeah, it's a, it's a very similar dynamic. Uh, Rishi Sunak is being very firm that, that Britain is on the side of Israel. Um, he's also saying, of course, that we, we, Britain doesn't want to see excessive deaths among Palestinian civilians. Of course, no one wants to see that, but he's made it very clear that we're on the side of Israel and that Israel has to win this war against Hamas, against this um, violent terror group. Um, and then, of course, in academic circles, amongst the left, in activist circles, um, they are very much anti-Israel, poisonously anti-Israel in some instances. They're lying about Israel. They're glossing over the fact that Israel just suffered uh, one of the most grotesque attacks on its civilians uh, in its entire history. Uh, they're not talking about that at all. And they're on the streets waving the Palestinian flag, which I think everyone has the free speech right to wave the Palestinian flag. But they're also chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, right. which many people consider to be an annihilationist slogan. It's certainly a slogan beloved of, of Palestinian terror groups. 
because it, it, it implies more than the creation of a Palestinian state. It implies the destruction of the state of Israel. So between the River Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea, there would be no Israel. And in some people's minds, that means there'll be no Jews. It means getting Jews off Arab lands. So when you hear people chanting that in the streets and uh, a, a guy waving an Israeli flag was set upon by a vicious mob, in London, he was almost attacked, but he was saved by the police. We saw a couple of protesters wearing images of paragliders to celebrate the Hamas terrorists who paraglided into southern Israel. So there is actually some celebration of this barbaric attack on the Jews. And I keep thinking to myself, what are these people going to tell their grandchildren? You know, when their grandchildren say to them, you know, granddad, what did you do? when there was the worst attack on the Jews since the Holocaust? Are, you, are they going to say, I went out on the streets and celebrated it? I mean, they, they don't understand how shameful their behavior is, I think. Uh, what about the speech given by President Biden last night where he uh, linked uh, support for Ukraine to support for Israel? How, how does that play in the UK? Is that, is that where Britain is as well, the political class in Britain? I think the political class is probably in that vicinity. I mean, we, we don't talk about Ukraine very much here at the moment. It has slightly faded. Uh, I think it's a it's a more pressing discussion in the U.S. because of uh, Biden's support for Zelensky and and the and for Ukraine. It's less of a discussion here. But one thing I find fascinating, you know, whatever one might think of the Russia-Ukraine war and the two parties to that, I find it really interesting that so many people are comparing Israel to Russia. We're seeing that all the time here amongst uh, liberal talking heads and, and, of course, on the left. But that's complete nonsense because uh, whatever one might think of the Ukrainian war effort, uh, the Ukrainians did not go into Russia and massacre 20,000 people, which would have been the proportionate number in Russia, as were killed in Israel. They didn't go in and set people on fire and kidnap grandmothers and children. They would have had to kidnap thousands to reach the proportionate level that Hamas did in um, Israel. So comparing Russia to Israel, which is what the left is doing, is completely surreal. I would more be on the side of Biden linking Ukraine and Israel as two countries that are defending themselves. But of course, it's very complicated because the Russian-Ukraine war is a complex conflict, whereas I think the Israel-Hamas war, as Sam Harris said, is a, a, a pretty clear-cut battle between one side that is defending good and civilians and decency, and the other side which is an apocalyptic anti-Semitic Brendan O'Neill, chief political writer at Spiked, Spiked Online, and author of the recently released A Heretic's Manifesto, Essays on the Unsayable. Brendan O'Neill, thank you as always. Appreciate it. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to podcasts of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. And again, um, we're uh, just over 24 hours away from an event on the North Shore that is replete with danger. Oh. We just want to warn, again, North Shore residents, please uh, either shelter in place or go to your uh, lake home in Lake Geneva, go to your winter home in southwest Florida or Scottsdale. Please, please, it's just not worth it to stick around for the Loyola Mount Carmel 1 versus 2 game tomorrow. Hey, man. That's it. Thank you. I live uh, right across the street from Loyola. Now, 
uh, last, two Thursday nights ago, August 24th, there was back to school night. You couldn't even walk down the street. They allowed you to park on the other side of our block. And there were people that were walking their dogs, their kids were out. They almost got killed. And second of all, when they have halftime on Friday nights, where do you think they're going? To the bars. And then they're going to be walking the neighborhoods drunk. I mean, do you guys even care? And then crime's going to come in because when they play St. Rita or Mount Carmel, everybody just comes from everywhere on the south side of Chicago. And there was four robberies in our neighborhood. I mean, like, seriously. It's going to make crime up, and it's going to make people not want to buy around here. I mean, there's going to be a line outside of Myers Tavern at about 4 a.m. tomorrow morning, oh, yeah. and uh, and then yeah. you know who knows what happens. You're, you're not ta- you're talking about Mount Carmel fans. This is not the effete, pea hat wearing women's studies majors that go to Northwestern football games that you're used to. Okay, this is serious. You just heard from a Wilmette resident, a Wilmetian who knows what Southsiders bring when they mm. caravan up to Wilmette. I. I, I just can't implore North Shore residents enough here. You, new Trier families, you are not prepared for what Mount Carmel hath wrought. Coming up on Chicago's Morning. And if any, by the way, if anybody attends the game, please call us on Monday because we want to know how it went. Okay. Well, please, I mean, just. If you just, even dare to go. Just leave, leave, leave it to Mount Carmel. I mean, just leave it to the Mount Carmel fans. You know, it's a team that travels well for obvious reasons. Yeah, They're exactly. barbarian hordes, uh-huh. burglaries, drinking, general loitering, bad accents. Oh, God. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Interesting uh Compare contrast in the journal, the uh, public safety records of one Governor Governor Gavin Newsom and one Governor Ron DeSantis, Florida versus California. That's going to be on a debate stage at the end of this month. DeSantis versus Newsom. Yeah, it's November thirtieth. End of uh, end of end of oh, next I'm sorry. month. End of okay. End of November. End of October. I thought it was end of November. Hmm. Next month. You yeah, know what? I, th- I, I think can you're Google right. that. Yeah, I think you're right. But oh, we have another debate coming up in Miami. November, November 5th yeah. or 8th or something. It's coming up. Yeah, I lose all these dates. I'm so focused. It'll be on it, NBC. Well, uh, a week from now, I think actually next week, it's already upon us. It, it always creeps up so fast every year. Uh-huh. Uh, Asexual Awareness Week. And so I'm so focused on the usual celebrations for Asexual Awareness Week, I've lost track of some of these debates. But anyway, I digress. Uh, so uh, DeSantis and Newsom are going to debate. Uh, what are their respective records? I mean, um, violent crime in big cities, still a big issue. We had not only because of the data, because of high profile stories like the New Orleans DA and his mom being carjacked this week. Or, of course, in Chicago, like the horrific killing of this uh, this uh, great young man, by all accounts, Sal Herrera, who was uh, acting as a good Samaritan and was shot and killed on the near west side. So what's going on, California versus New York? The uh, FBI released national stats on 2022. Violent crime nationally fell 1.7 percent, dipping back to the same level as before the pandemic. But in California... 
Violent crime is up 13% since 2019. So 6x the national. And in Florida, it's down 31.5%. So 16x the national, the other direction. Uh, the uh, rate of violent crime in California, 500 people per, 500 people even being victimized per 100,000. In DeSantis's Florida, 258 per 100,000, about half. Hmm. Um, California, strict gun laws. Uh, in fact, uh, lest we forget, Gavin Newsom, like the political ruling class here, championed a measure in California to decriminalize thievery. Right? Right. Sure did. Um, in California, you have uh, prosecutors, fund, George Soros funded, who refused to charge quote-unquote nonviolent crimes, which, as we know from the work of Raphael Manguel, the Manhattan Institute, and others, always have violence as their undercurrent. And when you see the same thing happen in Florida... Uh, prosecutors unwilling to do their jobs. Uh, Ron DeSantis, because he has the power to as governor of Florida, steps in and replaces them. Sends a message throughout the criminal justice system in Florida when a governor does that, doesn't it? And the results are the results. The results are the results. Uh, You want to compare Florida to Illinois? J.B. Pritzker doesn't want you to. I'll tell you that right now. Kim Fox doesn't want you to. BLM Brandon doesn't want you to. So on that measure, to the extent that it becomes at least a discussion point in a national race, even though these are largely state and local matters, the uh, comparison contrast of states that are attracting population versus states that are hemorrhaging population on this measure, like so many others, is quite telling. For more on uh, this topic, as well as a few others, please be joined again by Christopher Whalen, investment banker and chairman of Whalen Global Advisors. He's also the author of Ford Men, From Inspiration to Enterprise, and editor for the Institutional Risk Analyst. Chris, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. How's the uh, public safety challenge going in uh, New York City under Eric Adams? It seems like he's additionally taxed by the uh, influx of migrants. Yeah, it's been pretty much a disaster for the city. He actually went into court and asked that the constitutional right to shelter that has been in place in New York for a while uh, basically be suspended because the city cannot fulfill it. They just don't have the capacity to do it. And the Republican governors, of course, are putting the migrants who have arrived in this country under Biden. Uh, you know, basically relaxation of the rules. And they just send them to New York because they know New York has to house them. Um, so we're, it's very interesting. Adams is doing, I think, a reasonably decent job. Um, you've seen the police reassert themselves on the street, uh, which is good. But the city is still quite dangerous, especially off hours. Uh, what I've told my friends is you want to ride the subway during rush hour? Okay. But after that, you really don't want to do it because the random acts of violence and stupidity that we've seen in the city attacks on the subway, we just had a woman pushed in front of a train, Mm. uh, are going to continue because, unfortunately, that element is much more uh, prevalent on the street than they were in the past. You know, the the days of uh, Dinkins and Giuliani 
when this, you know, the city was reasonably safe or, or done. You know, I knew David Dinkins. He was a member of the Lotus Club in New York, and he started the process of cleaning up the city. And then Giuliani came in after, and Bloomberg as well. Um, but the damage done by, you know, the previous regime, uh, de Blasio, was just uh, unbelievable. Uh, de Blasio and the progressives flushed 30 years of progress in New York City down the toilet in well, a year. Yeah, going back to the migrants, I mean, we have 19,000 now. You have 132,000. Has there been a yeah. lot of pushback from residents? That's Oh, yeah. The residents are really pissed off. But the thing of it is, is, I mean, what are you going to do with these people if the federal government washes their hands of responsibility? You're talking about the residents or the migrants? What are you going to do with the residents of New York, or what are you going to do with the people that have been brought in? Yeah, you know, the whole the politics is so twisted, as you know, Dan. Um, why would a southern governor just put these people on a plane or a bus and send them here? That's a very cynical and, and cruel thing to do. On the other hand, these people shouldn't have been admitted in the first place. So ultimately, that goes back to the Biden administration. Uh, you know, we have dysfunction at every level right now. I, I think the people are calling for a centrist alternative that is competent to govern. You see that in the Congress. You know, by you know two weeks from now, the Republicans are going to have to cross the aisle and start talking to Democrats about electing a speaker. And I think they're going to have to marginalize Jordan and the, the others because they don't want to govern. They basically want chaos. And I don't believe that's productive. You know, well, I'm not really what we uh, want. Well, we I mean, want a default. Well, That'd be I'm, great. I, I, I think uh, that may that may describe Gates. I don't think it's fair to ascribe that to Scalise or Jordan, two of the options that House Republicans had with respect to the speakership. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I mean, I think you have to draw some lines of distinction between some of the individual actors. Well, when you're in a leadership position, things change. When you're sitting in yes. the chair and you've got yes. the gavel in your hand, things change. And I hope yes. that's the case with George. He's a very smart guy. I mean, I support him uh, in a lot of ways, especially on fiscal issues. But the way we get sanity in this country is by forcing the Democrats to do the right thing. And just say, do you want a failed Treasury auction? Is that what we're talking about here, guys? You know, I just did a piece about the banks and the blog. One of the things I talked about was that they're going to require everybody who trades treasury bonds to be a member of the clearinghouse in New York. That means the old days of Stevie Cohen and the other hedge funds running the basis with borrowed collateral are going to be over. They're going to have to own those treasury bonds to pledge them on a trade, and that's going to reduce leverage in the system dramatically. Bad for Goldman, bad for Morgan Stanley. So, Is uh, bad for Goldman and bad for Morgan Stanley bad for America? No, no, we could use less leverage. But that means that we're going to have a smaller crowd bidding for Treasury auctions. Mm-hmm. And that's going to put more pressure on interest rates. I think you're going to see Powell go up the Capitol Hill, by the way, and look at them and say, you're going to run an 8% deficit this year? I can't drop interest rates. Thank you. Well, okay. uh, how, how, well, do you how do you think that'll be received? Well, you t- we talked to you, uh, this has to be six months ago, and you said, you know, don't when interest rate, when the mortgage rates, I should say, had come down a skosh. He said, uh, "Don't get too comfortable. They could bump back to ten percent, and that's uh, we're we're at eight percent now. And there's the prospect that Powell rates hikes again. So you you may have been prescient there. Well, it's not just that, but the process of normalizing things after COVID, after all the money that the Fed dumped in the street and Congress, 
is going to take time. It's not going to just happen tomorrow. So I'll give you actually, let me see where I got the old Bloomberg up here. You know, the right now, the forwards for next month for mortgages, you should be writing eight and a half if you want to make money. Now, the industry is not doing that because there aren't many loans out there. Volumes are very low. A lot of uh, buyers are out of the market. The Lowest home sales in 13 years, right? Yeah. But if you're a mortgage banker and you actually want to make money, if you sell the loan, you've got to be writing eight and a half in this market. So, yes, could we go to 10% on mortgages in the United States? Yes. Very easily. Uh, I want to also ask you something about corporate America that was um, impressed upon me by a, a friend I was talking to who's got a couple of kids that are, you know, at elite schools and they've uh, they're, uh, they amassed uh, impressive academic records. One's a Fulbright scholar and so on and so forth. And they're 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 um, they're doing okay, um, but uh, the the offers are not coming like you think they would. And this the whole environment. And he also uh, was a big shot on Wall Street back in his day, and so he has a handle on this. Talking to other people too, and he said also like mm-hmm. these these consultancies and um, uh, big banks and big accounting firms. There's just not the work there. So like the the whole sort of um, the kids coming out of the elite schools that you know are not busy too busy you know promoting Hamas that are actually focused on their professional careers. Um, it's not the rosy picture that the low unemployment rate would tell you that the and some of the inflated salaries would tell you that that the whole sort of environment in corporate America is. Um, is is a bit concerning, particularly with those coming into the system. But the larger point is, whether you're in the system or you're trying to get into the system, there isn't the work there, I guess, is the overriding point. Oh, no. No, listen, one of the veteran bankers that I sit with when I'm in the city uh, said to me the other day, he goes, Chris, in my career, I've made twice and I've fixed broken twice. And now I think it's the time to fix broken twice. So you're going to see a lot of talent on the street going into restructuring as opposed to doing deals. And for the big banks, you know, a lot of those bankers really don't have any work to do unless they can go out and do IPOs and debt deals and the rest of it. So I think, yes, there's going to be a dearth of activity until, you know, the economy basically adjusts to this level of interest rates. And I don't think the Fed is going to go anywhere near uh, low enough to really get the animal spirits up on their hind legs anytime soon because of the deficit. So now you're starting to see that Powell, who doesn't like to lecture Congress about fiscal issues, right? He's said that many times. He's going to have to because he has no choice. He is the banker to the United States. And he has to look at Janet Yellen and say, Janet, you need to cut spending. And she doesn't want to hear that, of course. Um, But, you know, Look, look at uh, Biden. He's getting ready to ask for $100 billion for Ukraine and, and Israel. Uh, and we got to go out and borrow that money. Plain and simple. That's it. Uh, I, you know, not that I um, you know, put much stock in what Gary Gensler has to say um, at, at SEC, but uh, he is um, suggesting that a concern he has since uh, this sort of stock market rally this year uh, has been led by a handful of companies, particularly those in the AI space. His mm-hmm. concern is that a small number of AI base models could lead investors to herd behavior where many of them sell or buy at the same time because their models have told them to, 
but the number of base models is likely to rise over time, not fall. And but so in, in other words, do you see uh, the concern that he's expressing that AI led this resurgence and AI could lead a pretty significant market correction? I, we talk about this a lot. I'm actually a member of FINRA's Economic Advisory Committee, so we talk about these issues a lot. In other words, could investors be misled by content created by AI? Because there's nobody there. It's just a machine, right, telling you what to do. Uh, machines are often wrong. So, yes, you could have somebody out pumping a stock using AI bots on Twitter or any of the other social media. And they'll all pile in because humans chase the shiny object. But let's remember something, Dan. Vanguard and BlackRock, okay, control most of the stock market. And they have a bias towards higher prices. In other words, if a stock moves up, they buy more mm-hmm. because it's weighted by market cap. So the whole, uh, you know, the whole slant, the whole posture of the market is long. It's actually very hard to get a sell-off nowadays. Because so many managers, look at my banks. The banks should be down a little more, given the concerns, right? Higher interest rates, consumers, everything else. But they're not, they really haven't sold off that much. So you hear this narrative, oh me, oh my, right? But then you look at the stock prices, you know, Jamie's, where is he this morning? He's 1.4 tons book. It's, it's off a whole 0.5. So you know, <laughs> um, this market wants to be long. The managers are desperate to be long because they want to put the money to work and earn their fees, right? So, um, so, so it's it's kind of quiet now. So, where do you go? So, so don't it's not don't fight City Hall. It's don't fight Vanguard and BlackRock. Just go along with the program. Yeah, yeah Fed is an, uh, the Fed is a subsidiary of Vanguard and BlackRock. Think about it that way, okay? Because think about the money they control. Vanguard controls every four hundred one k in the country. If you don't have Vanguard on your website to show to your employees for the 401k, you could get sued. Think about that. So that's a monopoly. (laughs) That is a good way to think about it. It certainly cuts through a lot of the uh, complications. You don't have to look at too many charts to understand that. Okay. Well, the the natural tendency in markets is towards centralization. That's why we have antitrust laws. question is, where's Teddy Wood we need him? We need a Republican to go after antitrust. But listen, Gary Gensler... It's causing lots of problems for Wall Street. He's going to take away pay-to-play. You're not going to be able to buy low anymore. He's going to require centralized clearing of treasury bonds. He's got a big agenda. You know, they put out four rules last year that each one was enormous, and they put them all out at the same time. So the street hasn't even been able to react to this because of what happened last March. Once we have three bank failures, how do you push back, right, if you're the industry? Christopher Whalen, investment banker, chairman of Whalen Global Advisors, author of Ford Men from Inspiration to Enterprise, and editor for the Institutional Risk Analyst. Chris, thank you as always. Always insightful. Appreciate it. Good weekend. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. And got a lot of love about the Loyola Mount Carmel game. Well, again. Saying keep playing it as much as you can. I'm sure Loyola was there before the majority of neighbors bought their homes. You're and welcome. the line about Myers Tavern is hysterical. 
You're welcome, North Shore residents. I'm just trying to keep people safe. I'm just trying to save lives. That's all I'm trying to do. I know. One life at a time. You're such a... You, you know what? You're my hero. Thank That's you. That's what you are. Forget teachers and nurses. It's radio talk show hosts. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So things uh, got a little tense in Brighton Park because uh, Brighton Park residents were not noticed of what appears to be happening, which is clearing space in their neighborhood for a massive tent city for migrants uh, as the weather turns. And uh, so uh, Julia Ramirez, who is the alder human that represents Brighton Park, McKinley Park, 12th Ward, uh, she was out there to listen to the concerns of the residents, as any good older human will do. Yeah, they invited her there, so she went out. Um, and, uh, well, here's ABC7 reporting on uh, how, uh, how that went, the reactions from some of the residents. The morning started out peaceful, with dozens of residents showing up to speak out against what the city so far will only say is a potential site for a winterized base camp that could house thousands of migrants as they continue to pour into the city every day. But while nothing has been confirmed, residents say work has been going on at the site since Friday. The construction has been going on until 10 p.m. every night. So I was thinking construction will be done by the 24th when they want to hold the meeting at Kelly High School. That October 24th meeting was set up by Alderman Ramirez, and it is part of the reason tensions have been running high, with residents afraid by next week they will be presented not with a choice, but with a finalized plan. These meetings aren't about um, about taking in our concerns. It's about trying to tell us what they're going to do. Because as obvious as they're already building it right here. In her statement this afternoon, Alderman Ramirez acknowledged people's concerns, saying, I hear my residents and want them to know I will always advocate for their safety and ensure our communities have the resources they deserve. (laughs) I love the statement from the Alder human. But, um, yeah, the residents, amazing what's happening all over the city, neighborhood after neighborhood. Residents all of a sudden realizing that their older humans are not there to listen to them for the purposes of informing the choices the aldermen uh, are going to make. They're there to give the appearance of input, to let you spout off uh, and then move forward with decisions that have already been made. Okay, what so a surprise. Sh- 312-642-5600, answer line. Text us at 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. So she was there. Things are going well. You know, she was born and raised, Dan. She's from the hood. She's Jenny from the block in Brighton Park. And then when she was trying to leave, there was elderly Asian women there, too, by the way, not just Latinos. And they were like, no, 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 but you're not leaving because we want to talk. Like, we're we're serious. We do not want 3,800 people here. And the guys, the the deal's already done. I mean, it's already happening. So this is what it was like when she was trying to leave with her male staff member who claims that he was beaten so badly he had to go to the hospital. This is the police called in the helper. Absolute chaos. Yeah, vivid. 
Well, yeah, it's pretty. I mean, it was intense for her. That's why she had to call the police. But her male staffer, he was, um, she was pushed. Um, did not require any treatment. Her male staffer was apparently uh, killed. Alle- allegedly, 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 because uh, the residents there said we didn't touch her. No, I know. And so then the whatever. Fact, and they they doubled down that he went to the hospital. My police source was like, he did not go to the hospital. That is a flat out lie. Uh, obviously, no one advocates punching Brendan Riley or uh, outside of Boss Bar, his de facto okay, office okay. in the forty first ward. It's the satellite station. All right. Yeah, I see. Um, 40, 42nd Ward. Um, but, um, right. I mean, it's funny. I mean, Brendan Riley, he's gotten punched outside of Boss Bar twice in just the last couple of years. It's amazing these people that want to cost Brendan Riley. What are the odds that they would find him at Boss Bar twice, the okay. same place? Okay. Lightning would strike twice in the same place. Anyway, all right, enough about uh, the drunkard, 42nd Ward Alderman. So nobody's advocating that he be punched, and nobody's advocating that uh, Alder Human Ramirez be accosted by her residents. But um, that's a sideshow that the press corps uses to deflect away from the underlying issue, which is the one that the residents are talking about that you just mentioned, 3,800 migrants uh, housed in this facility that's being stood up in their neighborhood. By the way, it is interesting to note, as you did, uh, right, the La- Brain Park, um, largely Latino neighborhood, and wow, well, are the are the wait, wait are are, La- are Latinos are they unwelcoming? That that can't be. They're magical brown people, like the magical black people, the magical people of color. Well, so what? They came here legally. So so. I understand perfectly. Yeah. And so uh, so how do you, how does the political class explain that, though, is the question. Oh, oh, right. Um, all Latino people are not sharing a brain uh, because of their culture, their ethnic heritage. Doesn't mean that they believe the same things about the rule of law. Doesn't mean that a first and second or third generation Latino family uh, who did things the right way and who's playing by the rules in the city of Chicago is going to give a wink and a nod to anyone not playing by the rules and doing things lawfully as they did, whether they're Latino or something else. What a what a shocking discovery for so, the city of Chicago. So they're worried, obviously, about an increase in crime. They're also worried about, you know, property values. They, you know, made this move without consulting with us, and it's going to hurt us. It's, it's going to hurt our property values. How is anybody who wants to get out of here before this, like, even given a chance? Because there is no before this. This is already happening. Yeah. Yeah. And they put it, they've already been putting in sewer lines and, you know, water lines to the property because they're going to have three separate tents that are going to house, you know, a total of 3,800. And uh, they're having, listen to this, they're having a town hall meeting two days after the project is supposed to be complete. Yeah. I know. But I'm just, people think that I'm paying taxes. I have a voice in her saying all this. You don't. They're rolling over you. Like they're rolling over every taxpayer in Chicago taking away public places for children, our kids, to, to play sports and to do activities and senior citizens. They don't care. They're putting them before they're putting us. And that's why there's so much consternation and, and anger. And I see it getting, I see this escalating, getting even worse. I could see people putting, blockading themselves. I mean, you had people at Amundsen Field Park, Fieldhouse, that brought chains that were going to chain themselves to the door. So... So what? How long does that last? Well, they're still still fighting that fight, but that's going to how, cave how, in. How are, how are they fighting that fight? They're physically putting themselves. No, they're not. 
Stop it. Stop being ridiculous. Honestly, stop just using phrases that, 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 that your fellow network affiliate reporters use. They're fighting this and they're fighting that. And, no, they're not. They're having a moment. They're having a moment when the alder human shows up. They're having a moment when they're turned away from their field house. And a couple of people threaten to chain themselves to a door, chain themselves to a door. And how long does that last? Please come, unchain them. They're gone. What kind of sustained effort do you see happening? People bitching at a community meeting, people bitching on the streets of Brighton Park. They just realize that they are pawns. Mm -hmm. They are not constituents. They just realize they're window dressing for the political ruling class, and they're going to do what about it? You know, I've seen this over and over and over again, and everybody else has. I'm The difference with me is I'm not going to pretend like this is something new or something important. Um, we saw it. With Danny Golden shooting last year in Beverly. And it was going to be Beverly, Mount Greenwood, the uh, few neighborhoods that still respect police officers and the rule of law that still rally for police officers are going to, that's it. We're going to send a message to, we're going to do the, to Pritzker and to Fox and to BLM Brandon. We were halfway out the door, but now we're going to stay and fight. Did you? How, how did that take, how did that fight manifest itself? How sustained was that? And you're telling me these people that otherwise uh, elected, at least in Beverly and Mount Greenwood, you can't say they are BLM, Brandon, they're Kim Fox, they're J.B. Pritzker supporters, generally speaking. But in these neighborhoods on South Shore and Hyde Park and uh, uh, Galewood and Brighton Park, these are Democrats. The, the people that you wanted in are in. So now you're upset because, uh, with the, the policy choices because you are not as uh, important a victim class as this new victim class that they're interested in serving for the moment to expand their coalition of the quote-unquote marginalized. And so that's going, that's, how is that going to be sustained? When you say fight, what do you mean? Crying at a community meeting? At Kelly High School, and then going on your merry way. I did my part. I mean, just spare me. Like I, I they have to vote them out of office, obviously. I, but I think people are waking up. Those who I don't think so. Sleep. I don't think so. I don't think they are. I think they're uh, they're very short sighted. I think they're waking up to this because it is slapping them in the face, yep. and then it will come, and they will get used to it, and they'll have to deal with it. And the city will continue to disintegrate. I mean, this has happened on issue after issue in neighborhood after neighborhood on every single issue. The parents who are having their scholarships taken away from them by J.B. Pritzker and Chris Welch and the Chicago Teachers Union and the Democrat Socialist power structure in the state. Where are they? Where are those family families? I mean, you don't care about a scholarship for your kid. You you wanted it enough for him or her to go to a better school that you went and got it in the first place. So what are you saying now to the politicians? It's one party. It's the same power structure taking away the scholarship for your kid. No. Has that where, where's that being platformed? Where's the community meeting for that? Have a where are the people? Where figures. are the people on the streets? Where are the people at city hall in a sustained way? Where are the people telling their stories? I mean, all this, I'm, I'm supposed to rally around the residents of Brighton Park or South Shore or Hyde Park or Galewood or Beverly or Mount Greenwood? Why? 
I'm supposed to fight for them even though they won't fight for themselves. Because they're, and what are they supposed, I mean, and, and frankly, they don't want my help. They don't want help, the help from people with whom they disagree, generally speaking. Fine. Godspeed. Enjoy your new Brighton Park neighborhood, redeveloped. Because those tents are never coming down, because once the migrants are gone, which we don't know when that's going to happen, then they're going to use it for homeless people. Sam in Brighton Park. Sell your house now. Sam in Brighton Hello. Park. Yeah, go ahead, Hello. Sam. Hey, Dan and Amy. Good morning. Love your show. Thank uh, you. Just let, letting you know, uh, you know, yesterday at the, during the protest, there were, there were actually a lot of Asian folks out there. Yep. Because mm-hmm. I, they, they live directly across the street from that, that campsite that, that's being built. And, you know, they're worried because, you know, a lot of these folks that came across the border, they're not vetted. You know, who knows what they're going to do. Yeah. And, I know. And, and, you know, just... And then, and then, just want to touch on you know the the older woman, and then she came and did a spectacle, and now she's claiming she's a damn victim and calling these people uh, violent protesters. You know, what about the people, people. That, that, right? What about the BLM people that that did the riot? Like they're mostly peaceful. So right. I just want to. Hey, Sam. So, so Sam, let me ask you this about Brighton Park. You're in Brighton Park. You live there, or you work there? Yes, I do. Um, so, so tell me about Brighton Park. Twenty years. So, tell me about it. I mean, t- you know, I mean, hey, I'm happy to be corrected. Tell me I'm wrong, and tell me that what's going on now represents a real paradigm shift. That the residents of Brighton Park, your neighbors, are actually rethinking their entire approach to political support and who they support at the local, city, state level. Tell me that's happening. Well, I they got to weave what they sow. I mean, the, yeah, the, exactly. The, the, I mean, we had uh, Cardenas for for years, and then uh, when Cardenas ran for uh, the county board or whatever office that he was at, uh, he endorsed another candidate. But people didn't want Cardenas just because they didn't want Cardenas, and they voted for Juliana Ramirez without knowing that she's got to be a social justice warrior and and all these restorative justice uh, crazy people. And now this is what they get. Thanks for the call, Sam. Appreciate it. All right. It's that time. Open mic. Open mic Friday. Call it now. Open mic Friday. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. It is that time. Open mic Friday. Our New and improved Open Mic Friday, where we take your calls. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. With comments, concerns, compliments, criticisms, general crack pottery, we'll take it all. And Open Mic Friday is presented by turnkey.pro, your small business partner. You visit them online at turnkey.pro. And uh, as a new feature of Open Mic Friday, we begin this installment with David Kolsak from turnkey.pro who gives us uh, his version of Jerry Springer's final thought. He gives us an initial thought. David, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, I first want to comment. I was laughing out loud about the Loyola topic. Um, I have full disclosure. I have a sophomore at Loyola Academy, oh. and oh um, God. They're, they're trying to put in lights, and so there's this big uproar in Will Met about having lights. And I went to Wheeling High School where they actually canceled the game a couple or postponed it on a Friday night because of gang violence or the threat of gang violence against Rolling Meadows at Wheeling. So 
um, they can come over here and see what it's really like. But uh, the other thing is, is they have that cottage industry and that whole neighborhood there that everybody who has a house in that neighborhood has a circular drive where they sell their parking spots to students for $2,500 or more uh, per, per year. So uh, they would be missing out on a lot if they uh, didn't start getting along. So I just thought it was hilarious. So thanks for that. Are you going to go to the game, Mr. Kolsik? I I'm actually going to be down at Purdue for the weekend or for the, at least for the, for the night to visit my son. So I will not be there tomorrow. And my other kids getting his wisdom teeth out this morning. So he's going to be out of commission. So, so you're in a safe place. That's good. We're in a safe, we're in our safe zone. (laughs) Well, I mean, I just want David before, before we get on to substantive things, although this is substantive, the, the North shores, uh, precarious position here, whether or not the North shore survives this weekend. I, I just want to give you audio, uh, from the last, uh, opponent that Mount Carmel vanquished. This is how that went. Take a listen. <laughs> Glad to have you with us. Watch this. That's the arrows. I mean, that sound doesn't give you an appreciation for the carnage that was inflicted by Mount Carmel. It's like Armour. Braveheart almost. Like, it, it is almost like, like that. Yeah. yeah, it's almost hold, like that. Hold the line. Mm-hmm. Hold that line, North Shore. All right. Well, anyway, I wanted to start by talking about the Speaker of the House, touch a tiny bit on Israel, and then talk about money. So first of the Speaker of the House. First of all, do you believe that Trump made a big mistake when he backed McCarthy for Speaker? Uh, did Trump make the right pick of an incompetent guy? Or have him, or just to have him removed at just the right time, or did McCarthy maybe play a role, or was he quote unquote played to play a role? Uh, not having a speaker just before this Israel situation is incredibly timely and too timely or coincidental, in my opinion. And so I question that. Uh, what happened to the 150 billion dollars sent to Ukraine? You know, where did all the talk of the bribes being paid to the Bidens go? How about the impeachment inquiry? Where did that go? Where's the laptop from hell? Like, poof, you know, it's just all gone from the narrative. And still no speaker, and looks like, you know, they're still trying to get Jordan in, but we'll see what happens. So briefly about Israel. Um, Who controls Hamas? These are my questions. Again, I'm going to always be in question mode. Um, Who started it? You know, I think for years and centuries, you know, these people all got along from different creeds and colors and religions, and they all seemed to get along. But when did all this hatred get going? You know, got a lot of different things in history that we can look to. But since last week, we've got other countries involved. And didn't we just give $6 billion to Iran for uh, humanitarian aid? Oh, really? Um, the timing of all this is, is super interesting. And um, so then on to the subject of money. Now, I want to talk about BRICS for a second. A lot of people don't know about BRICS. They're all about U.S. currency and buy gold and buy silver and things like that, which are all you know good things to talk about. But BRICS stands for, if people don't know, Russia, Russia Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, those nations have, you know, got together and they're leading a movement to come away from the petrodollar, the U.S. petrodollar, and attempt to establish their own gold-backed currency. Uh, A lot of other countries are really clamoring to move away from the U.S. petrodollar. And actually, I think last month I just saw an article that said 25% of all oil purchases are now being allowed to make to be made in other currencies other than the U.S. dollar. So that's a big deal, like a, a huge deal and a threat to the U.S. currency. It's, but it's also interesting to note the countries that want to join BRICS that are in the region, Egypt, Iran, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Pakistan, Sudan, 
Syria, Turkey, that's like right there. And it's all in that region. And interestingly enough, also Mexico to our South border would also like to join the BRICS movement as it gains momentum. So could it be that the absence of a speaker of the house may be intentional? Do they want to avoid some formal declaration of war? Do they want a government shutdown? Are they creating scenarios like just to, to, you know, create a public opinion and a, and a sentiment? Are they just, you know, say, look, look over here, but not look over here, but what we're really doing, you know, like my questions are like, who's pulling the strings. But as George Carlin once famously said, you know, it's a big club and you're not in it. I'm certainly not in it. Um, you know, and lastly, um, it's very telling when Russia brings up a ceasefire resolution in the UN just a couple days ago and only con- four countries, I think there were four that voted for it, China, the UAE, Mozambique and Gabon. And the countries that voted against the ceasefire were Britain, France, Japan, and the U.S. So it looks like, to me, the West wants war. The other ones abstained, by the way, on the Security Council. Um, so it's interesting to note that the Federal Reserve, that basically has a federal banking system in every country in the West, is no more federal than the company called Federal Express or FedEx as we know it. The Federal Reserve is a private corporation that controls the money in most Western countries, uh, so does anyone else find it interesting or coincidental that the ceasefire, the people who are for the ceasefire are with the BRICS and the people who are against it are with the Federal Reserve? So could this be a war for control of Palestinian territories, uh, a war on certain religions or a war to control the monetary system? Or, or more importantly, could this be the end of the Fed? Again, I'm simply asking questions. You know, I'm not sure that I have answers yet. So be careful when you follow the masses, because the M sometimes is silent. So. Hi, oh, well, that's good. That should that should be a tagline. I like that. Put that on a t-shirt, <laughs> Turnkey.pro t-shirt. Uh, all right, David Kolsak, thanks for that. Appreciate it. A lot of uh, questions posed. People want to pour over some or all of the Kolsak questions. Maybe that's the the name of the intro. Oh, Kolsak's yeah, Col- questions. Yeah, Kolsak uh, questions. I like that. We'll- Spitball that. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Dan, before we get to callers, anything you want to get off your chest? Well, I do have a little bit more color on the Mount Carmel Loyola thing. I just I just oh feel that they're not taking, the North Shore is not taking this seriously enough. Um, and I have an alternative if you don't want to go to that hotbed of heat there to that game you can go into another game well look promote later look i mean they're they're going to be coming up uh soon i mean you'll you'll know they're there most of the mount carmel fans will not be wearing shirts most of them some of them will not be wearing pants probably wearing fire helmets They'll probably be tattooed right neck tattoos or no city of chicago police tattoos and yeah. so on and so forth. you'll be able to identify yeah. but off duty and you know god only knows uh, anyway this was um the uh, pre-Loyola rally. This is uh, down uh, in the faraway land, the south side, Mount Carmel. I got exclusive audio of this. This is the pre game, the pre pre-game rally for tomorrow's game, Mount Carmel versus Loyola. This is Loyola amping up their troops for tomorrow's contest. I am William Wallace. I don't know why William Wallace was there. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? 
Pete Loyola. Will you fight? Right? Against that? No! We will run! And we will live! Aye. Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. I'm dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! <laughs> Go caravan. Gives me the chills, man. Yeah, you know, let's do a better cut job on that clip, but uh, you get the gist of it. William Wallace impersonator there on the south side. And if you don't want to go to that game, um, you can go to the Amundsen Hersey oh High School God. volleyball yeah. game. <laughs> I mean, would you just give it a rest? No, hey, we're playing my alma mater. We're playing Hersey High School yeah. at the Lake Park High School Invitational. We first take on Prospect and then Lake Park and then Hersey. I think it's going to go swimmingly. Are they using migrants for line judges in that game? Hey, hey, hey. It's so rude. Matt on the south side. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Dan, I think earlier this week we were talking about what everybody can do, what each city and person can do to outdo each other, to be a more welcoming city. And I'm thinking that um, maybe 560 The Answer could hand out $56, $50 gift cards. Each five minutes. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Thanks for the call, Matt. Uh, John Bridgeport. All right. Um, am I able to get a double or nothing here uh, wager on you here, Dan? Oh, that's I'm right. You owe me. Uh, wait, you owe me dinner and golf, don't you? No, 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 oh, no, dinner? no. Dinner and a Sox game. Sox game. Then it dinner turned into dinner. Yeah, but I don't. I'm taking, but... Loyola, I'm taking Loyola. I'm taking Loyola because I think they have a classier team than the Caravan. I'm just letting you know. Oh my God! Never mind. Not, yeah, never you're going to start a border war between Bridgeport and Mount. You're opening up a two front war. All right, go ahead. It's fine. That's fine. Now, last but not least, Amy, Dan, please do not let Pritzker off the hook. Do not let mayor, whatever the mayor of the city of Chicago is these days, off the hook. It's the robberies, the robberies, the robberies, not the migrants. Robberies are up over 200% countywide, and it just gets a page three in the newspapers. That's the big issue. No one is safe anymore in this city until they start putting people away. And, Amy, I'm going to take Mother McCauley to go to distance in volleyball this year. So I'm just okay. letting you know. That's well, good. You know. That's not. It's not exactly a bold pick. Thanks for the call. Don't they win every year? No. Bennett was one one year. Hmm. You're all modern. You're not into girls volleyball at Bennett. Well, I think at, I think at Bennett now dudes are mainly. It's mainly dudes no, on the girls volleyball team. No, it's not. Uh, Glenn in Oakbrook, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning, guys. Love the show. In the category of why is Dan Prop single? Mm. Dan, marriage is like a deck of cards. You get two hearts and a diamond, and at the end, you're really looking for a club and a spade. Hi, (laughs) oh, very good. Oh my, you guys are a good one. Uh, Not fair to women. Rick in Downers Grove. Hey, good morning. Hey, this is about like, uh, you know, there's not much to admire about the, you know, the students at Harvard, you know, their brainwashed support of like a murdering terrorist organization, but you have to give them some props for their time management skills. I mean, let's face it, between woke gender studies at school and searching for white supremacy and placing, you know, hate has no home here sign, where do you find the time? 
But, you know, I suppose if you're dedicated to a cause like destroying uh, Western civilization, you're going to make the time. So, you know, maybe they're, they're learning something at Harvard. Thanks for the call, Rick. Since uh, Governor Jellybelly was brought up, I did want to address the uh, tax credit scholarship program since he's reiterated the Pontius Pilate position he took back in the spring, right. which is, hey, look. Uh, up to the legislators. Yeah, if we, yeah the legislators got to send it to my desk. I can't force it to my desk. No, no, of course not. Yeah, but I want to know, what do you think? How do you feel? Do you think that this is right? Of course. He doesn't right. answer those questions because he leaves. Right. And so this is a way for him, again, to just, uh, all right, um, I'll certainly sign anything that comes to my desk that would extend the program. Chris Welch, kill it. Don't let it out of the house. That's how that goes. And that 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 uh, shrewd political maneuvering, so transparent, is too sophisticated for Republicans or even school choice groups like Empower Illinois to figure out. It's kind of sad and pathetic, good descriptions of Illinois generally. Um, including of the uh, press corps here, Chicago Tribune. Uh, you heard Mike Scott's been playing it, the clip from the teachers union apparatchik saying that these scholarships just went to white families. I mean, out of their minds. It's just it's just completely false. It's a 180 lie. degrees. It's 180 degrees false, but it doesn't matter. They will repeat it the same way Rashida Tlaib repeats propaganda about uh, rocket attacks of a hospital in Gaza. It does not matter. And it doesn't matter to the residents or even to apparently to the scholarship recipients or to the proponents of the scholarship program. So why shouldn't they repeat things that are just manifestly false? Well, who's going to check them on it? The Chicago Press Corps? No, of course not. Here is the Chicago Tribune characterizing the tax credit scholarship program. If you thought saying it was all scholarships to white kids, patently false, easily knowable. We have all the data. Plurality of minority students, lower to barely middle income families benefiting. It's just so offensive. But again, I understand this is a state and a city and a region that is incapable of being shamed for their barbarism. Incapable of it. The Chicago Tribune, quoting, The program has become a contentious issue for lawmakers, especially among Democrats who control both chambers. Some Democrats have questioned whether tax incentives should be used to support private schools. Hmm. There have also been concerns that some private schools may discriminate against LGBTQ students, those who are disabled, or other groups. Oh, the old wraparound smear. The uh, the guy who uh, allegedly murdered that Palestinian boy and almost uh, murdered his mom as well. That's conservative talk radio's fault. Can you name anyone? No. Uh, can you name schools who are discriminating against LGBTQ students, disabled students, or these unnamed other groups? No, we don't have to. It's the smear. We're just in the business of smear. We're smear merchants. And that's what the barbarians like, smear merchants. So the smears will continue, as well as the barbarism. Jim, on the north side, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning. Morning, Jim. Go ahead. Chicago, Cook County, Illinois have all kinds of problems. The migrant problem being just one. But this illustrates something. Become a migrant yourself. Get out of Chicago. Get out of Cook County. Get out of Illinois. Move someplace where people make rational, common decisions. This isn't going to get any better. They haven't hit bottom yet. Thanks for the call, Jim. Uh, And by the way, they haven't hit bottom yet. I mean, Sam in Brighton Park, who called and we were talking about the the residents complaining in Brighton Park yesterday. Yeah. He basically conceded the point. Yeah. 
Right, we haven't. Okay. Just checking. Tom in Richmond. And when I got in the uh, car yesterday morning, the radio was evidently on 89 from the night before. And before I got a chance to switch it to you guys, I see I hear this Danny Davis guy lamenting the speaker situation, saying we need the bow tie guy because he can compromise. He can get stuff done. He can legislate. He's all about compromising. And I thought, you're saying it out loud. You're supposedly a Republican, and you're bringing this theory to Washington. You screwed up Illinois. The Democrats don't compromise. They get behind an issue 100%, and they ramrod it through. Our Republicans think we have to compromise, and that's why we're the country's where it's at. Thanks for the call, Tom. Well, I mean, in the sense of when, in the sense of, um, People in charge of institutions that are sane or Republicans in charge of institutions when they're in power. This is not uh, across the board, but there are too many instances to his point where you will not exercise the power you have. You will not exercise the power you have. This happened at my alma mater, Bennett Academy, which is now just a Catholic school in name only. Because the Benedictines didn't exercise the power they had over the school and they lost control of an appointed board that they could uh, remove members of it at their whim. They lost control of the board. They lost control of the staff. They lost control of the school. When you're in charge of institutions and you will not exercise the power that you have in furtherance of the stated objective of the institution, then you're just as cowardly as any of the politicians that you that we talk about, just as cowardly as these voters that uh, you know claim innocence, even though they were party to the people and the policies that now victimize them or that they now detest, just as cowardly, and particularly when it is men and women of faith and men of the cloth, as we've seen over and over again. You're just you're you're worse. You're worse than your rank-and-file Marxist on a college campus or in a university president's office who you know is beholden to the identitarian mob. And that's what we see over again, over and over again. Center-right, sensible people that will not exercise power they actually have. Well, then why should people be interested in putting you in places of authority? How can they trust it? Might as well just burn the place down. And I'm not a burn the place down guy. No. But a lot more conservatives are becoming that way for exactly the reason I'm describing. It's not good. Rob in Plainfield. Uh, Hello, Dan. Yeah, Rob. It's uh, it's Rob Cruz. How you doing, buddy? Hey, what's up? Hey. I'm calling this. Uh, well, uh, speaking of your Bennett comment, there we can uh, we can give you a little bit of satisfaction as they, they come into New Lenox tonight to, to make a playoff run. The winner gets to go to the playoffs. It's Providence Catholic versus Bennett at Providence this uh, evening at seven. Uh, Providence will kill Bennett, I suspect. Yeah, well, we're, prob- we're, we're not as what we, what we were before, but we're expecting a big win tonight. So Yeah, Providence uh, is going to uh, be better. Yeah. 
All right, very good. Good luck. Thanks for the call, Rob. I mean, I can't. You know, it's like it's like rooting for Northwestern. Why even bother? Like, it was, oh, just because it's my alma mater, my alma mater, uh, right or wrong? I don't think so. Whatever. I, I mean, I it, it's just you just lose all affinity for an institution that behaves in a shameful way, or at least you should. Otherwise, how are you going to correct it? Like one of these uh, big money guys. Uh, Okay, I just finished my five-year pledge. Now I'm a little hesitant to re-up. Oh, boy. What a heroic stand you're taking. That's really going to give your institution the what for, isn't it? You're really doing something important, aren't you? No, you're not. And you're not changing the trajectory of the institution. You're just making yourself feel better about being complicit and an underwriter of something that is just egregious. Sean and Darian. Yeah, hi, guys. Great show, like always. I love you guys. But uh, my point is, like you were saying earlier, Dan, like the stuff about legal migrants in, in the city, they're putting up the tents. The residents aren't going to do anything. They're, they're, they're never going to do it. They're going to keep voting in people like Johnson and Kim Fox and the rest of them. You know, I told you before, I'll tell you till I, till that day happens to me, four years from now, hopefully no longer. When I leave, and I'm going to be gone, and I'm going to call you up and say, I'm free. I'm free. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks, Sean. Uh, Rich in Indian Head Park. Hey, Rich. Rich. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Oh, hi. I got two two quick questions. Amy, how long have you been married? Which time? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like talking <laughs> to Elizabeth time? Taylor <laughs> over here. Yeah. No, the only reason I'm saying that, because when I called this morning... I uh, told the screener, I know the reasons why Dan isn't married, but I wanted to ask you what were the reasons why you weren't married. And he said that you are married. And I never knew that because uh, you never mentioned, uh, never mentioned your husband uh, as much as, uh, as anything else. Well, maybe my yeah. husband is Dan. Oh, just kidding. Yeah, okay, okay, Don Wade and Roma. No, I just keep things private <laughs> yeah, nice when try. it comes to that. But Okay, yeah. all right, well, that's all I want to know. Cause oh. No, 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 Rich. Ask her more questions. Yeah, go ahead. Rich, probe a little bit I do deeper. like sushi and long, long walks along the beach. Yes, what else? Yeah, okay. I'm a Scorpio. No, because all, you all, always you're talking about coaching and that kind of stuff. And I, I was just wondering. I didn't think you were married. But anyway, my question was... Is, is it like what? a Will Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith thing? Is that what we have going on? Yeah, who knew that happened, huh? I don't know. Uh, if you'd have to answer that. I wouldn't know. But anyway, my my question was, is why are there so many Democrats in the Congress that are so unwilling to uh, condemn Hamas in uh, Iran? I mean, I, I don't understand that. Uh, thanks for the call, Rich. Well, um, I mean, again, the center of gravity is the Socialist Spice Girls. You've heard the comments from Rashida Tlaib and AOC and the rest of that gaggle. Uh, even uh, Jewish members of Congress that are Democrats, a lot of them are mealy-mouthed at best on the topic because uh, the uh, Palestinians are part of the Solidarity and, Margin and, Co and Solidarity and Marginality Coalition of the left, and uh, Jewish people are not. I mean, they're an ally of convenience sometimes, certainly because 70% of Jews, for example, in America vote for the Democrat uh, Socialist Party. I just but, don't know why that is. But but I mean, but they're too successful. They're too white. Uh, and when it comes down to Israel and 
Palestine and, and Israelis and the Palestinians. I mean, this has long been the case that the uh, the brown people are more important as mascots to the left than the white people. The brown people who are much poorer than the richer white people. I mean, that's just what it is because this is their analysis. This is how they view the world. Uh, poor, mostly brown people, black and brown people, against rich, white, oppressor people. That's simple. Now, go out and behave accordingly. And that's what you see. Jeff in Wheeling. Morning. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. I just wanted to share, um, I've got a daughter at Carmel Catholic up in Mundelein. <gasps> oh, Mundelein. Oh, Mundelein. Not Mount Carmel. Yeah. Oh, God. No, right. Well, yeah. No, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be a daughter. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. Um, couldn't agree more, though, than what you're saying. I mean, I've sent my kids to Catholic school their entire lives, and Obviously, in the high school level, these are impressionable young adults, and you know those of us that send our kids to any sort of parochial school are sending them there for, with a purpose. And she's a sophomore now. Last year, as a freshman, I came in. We did parent night, and there, what do I see? One of the first things I see in a health teacher's class is an LGBTQ flag up on the wall. And then there's mm-hmm. a BLM sign up on one of the offices. So I approached the principal and one of the other administrators last year had a meeting with them that went nowhere i had to pursue i had to chase it i was told i'd be given feedback uh on their decision on how they were going to handle it um nothing of course came of that and now here we are a year later and another scenario came up they had a spirit week for homecoming a couple weeks ago one of the theme days was uh uh, barbecue dad and soccer mom so one of the my daughter's friends wore a trump 2024 hat and he was instructed to remove that hat, and uh, that just sparked me again. You know, they have a policy of no political signage. You've got the LGBTQ stuff up. You've got the BLM stuff up, and then you're telling a student who's doing nothing wrong. It's a fitting hat for a theme day like that. He's instructed to remove it. He ended up getting a detention. I think they reversed the detention, but ultimately – I, I've got a meeting with uh, the chaplain next week and, and this administrator again. And, you know, you can't stop fighting because this is just, it's ridiculous. And frankly, you know, while it's an administrative thing, I think you made the point earlier, Dan. I mean, at the end of the day, I want to look at the quote, man of the cloth here. And I want to know, what is your feedback? I want a definitive answer because at the end of the day, that's that's eternal life. That's really what matters more than any of this. It's supposed to. That's supposed yeah. to be what matters hey, yeah, more than any yeah. of this other stuff. Yeah, hey, Father, um, maybe I've got uh, the catechism wrong. The, the Catholic Church's position is for the disintegration of the nuclear family. That, that's, that's the Catholic Church's position. They, they oppose the nuclear family. I just want to understand that because that's what the BLM sign indicates, among other things that are noxious. So what, what is the Church's position? Because this is a Catholic school, isn't it? I'm just so confused. Why don't you explain it to me? Yep. Yeah. That would be a, Thank you. I'd love to have that conversation. Can I, can I go with you? Um, I would love that. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Bob and Wilmette. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Um, A couple things. Uh, Number one, the the woman whom you've uh, played repeatedly over the past number of weeks who complains about uh, Loyola as if it were Wrigleyville after a Cubs game, you know she's a a new Trier parent. Uh, I mean, that's clear, her her whininess. And then because... There's only one bar near Loyola. It's a half mile away, and it's Myers Tavern, as you mentioned, Amy. And it's more like an old man bar where they 
sit there and drink 10 ounce glasses of old style at 11 in the morning. And uh, secondly, I think right. this Loyola Mount Carmel game should have some higher stakes to it. Um, admittedly, I'm a Loyola Death fan. Match. What's that? Death match. Yeah, well, even better, I would say that the loser, um, every family in the high school should host migrant families for the next year until they meet again. <laughs> it's a Catholic, there you go. Yeah, it's a yeah. Catholic thing to do, especially the Jesuits, you know, to serve others. Very good. It's, thanks. It's not a bad thanks idea. For the call, Bob. Get them out of the police stations. Yeah, the Myers Tavern. It may be a half places, by the way. It may be a half a mile away, Myers Tavern. But look, they knock back a few. They get all hopped up on tater tots, and then it's mayhem. <laughs> I'm telling you, face paint comes out, and it gets ugly fast. You know, have you been to Myers Tavern? Uh, many times. I know. I love that place. Went uh, there when I was a little girl, and ordered root beer. Uh. Tony in Downers Grove. Hey, Dan, thanks for uh, playing the Mayorkas border speech earlier. It was great. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, Dan, I want to clarify. I, I called in last week and I said we have a Muslim problem. And that, that's misstated, obviously. But, and it is ideological. And it's radical Islamist. And I'm going to say it again and again. We, we have a problem when we don't have leaders in the Muslim community at least denouncing Hamas. And if you're watching what's going on in the streets in the surrounding countries of Israel, there's there's a problem here and it's huge. And it might only be, well, there's not, how many radical Muslims are there? Well, there's millions. And the point is, how, how do you know who's what if people aren't stepping out? You know, there's a, there's a mosque, there's a temple in Burr Ridge. It, at least a thousand go there on Friday because it's prayer day. And I'm willing to bet that they're not going to be at that temple denouncing what happened to Hamas. Maybe they will. But in, in, until people start getting out and, and speaking out against this, how are we supposed to know the difference here in our country? And that's all I was trying to say. Thanks. Thanks for the call. I mean, does, does anybody feel like this is post 9-11 redux? Didn't we have this conversation for years post 9-11? Where uh, we made the point, oh, and during and and with respect to other uh, Islamo-fascism-inspired domestic terror attacks in this country that were that have been, of course, in the many dozens since nine eleven. So, what do we say? Look, there are one point five billion Muslims in the world. The overwhelming majority are peaceful pluralists, and certainly that's the case in America. But a small percentage of a big number can be a big problem. And so what, what is it globally? What, what do you want to say it is? Is it 10%? Well, I mean, 10% 10 is 150 million people. Is it 1%? Well, that's 15 million people. Um, 15 million people uh, that are underwritten by genocidal jihadists and, and the upper reaches of the Iranian government and elsewhere can do a lot of damage. And so to the point, that's that's the... The, the the problem, of course, is with Islamo fascists. It's not with the with Islam, the religion, as I always say. Islam plus fascism equals Islamo fascism. To put it in equation form, that political piece, that political ideological piece, is an important one. So, you're, I mean, to Tony's point, he's absolutely right. It's uh, incumbent upon peaceful pluralist Muslims to speak up, particularly. Men of the cloth, just as it is Catholic priests, just as it is Jewish rabbis, as we talked about a bit yesterday. And there's not enough of that happening. 
Kevin, Austin, Texas. Uh, good morning, Dan and Amy. I just want to mention, so all the kids that are in college now have been digesting their news from TikTok. So when COVID first started, my daughter, who was in eighth grade, was was just going through COVID or uh, going through TikTok, watching all the BLM propaganda. And that's where they've gotten the news for the last four years. So it's no surprise that these pro-Palestinian uh, protests are out there because that's thanks where they get the, the news. Thanks for the call, Kevin. I want to get Chuck in before we have to check out Chuck and Delavan. Thanks for mentioning my garage band, Smear Merchants. And uh, Amy's uh, <laughs> husband is very handsome. Name. My girlfriend my girlfriend says so because we met them. I want to apologize. I really feel really bad of... For two weeks ago, I did not mention that they had Oktoberfest here in Lake Geneva because I didn't want a lot of people from Illinois flooding up here and then drinking all the beer. Okay. okay. Thanks for the call, Chuck. All right. Uh, Open Mic Friday presented by Turnkey.pro, your small business partner. Visit them online at Turnkey.pro. Thanks to George Hoffman and Quinn McCarthy. Have a wonderful weekend. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.